everybody, and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Jeff Marquiafava. Audi. Surreal Vasquez. Yeehaw. And Kyle Hilliard. Hello. Kyle Hoedown Hilliard. Lewitz. Welcome, everybody. Uh, we're here in the glorious wake of E3 to just kind of ride these sweet gaming waves, right, Surreal? That's right. Uh, hang, hang 10 out of 10. That's what we're games. doing here, everybody. Uh, there's a lot of games that are good that came out in kind of the blast radius of E3 that we haven't really found a place to talk about yet. And then we remembered we have a weekly podcast about video games. and It's probably a good place to talk about these good games of the summer. So that's what this episode is going to be about. I mean, there's stuff like Mario Golf coming up on Friday. We didn't get codes early, but seems like it's going to be very solid. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Scarlet Nexus is also coming out, the kind of action RPG that reviews are surprisingly solid for from Bandai Namco. Uh, Chicory, which is the indie game we talked about last week, maybe? Um, Sarah Podzorski has streamed, I believe, all of it now on MinMax's Twitch account, twitch.tv slash show. but apparently that is one of the indie darlings of the year so far, and I need to dive into it. Um, but there's other stuff, like Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart we'll be talking about. We'll be talking about Guilty Gear Strive. What are they striving for? Serial, we'll tell you at 1 o'clock. Uh, Game Builder Garage, and then we're going to have uh, Leo Vader join us. And also, we'll have a very special guest joining us, which I guess it's no... There's no reason to keep it secret now. Uh, Joe Juba, uh, formerly of yeah. Game Informer. You might, you might know him from The Deepest yeah. Dive on Mass Effect 1. We'll be joining us later to talk about Final Fantasy VII Intergrade. Because even though Kyle and I just posted the deepest dive on Intergrade, which is without a doubt the best, most thorough discussion about Yuffie's DLC for Final Fantasy VII Remake on the internet, we wanted to hear Joe's take. So he'll be jumping in to talk a little bit more about everything there. Uh, and then we have some great community questions, some really, really stellar stuff. But hey, how's everybody doing? How are you three doing? Or I'm good. Tired after the E3 yeah. blast radius. Yeah, even though it was all remote, it still, still exhausts you. Yeah, it still felt like a lot of things. Just a process. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm not sick of gaming. I feel like after E3 every year, there's always <laughs> that wave of people being like, I don't want to even think about video games. But I'm still feeling good, probably because E3 was remote, and I just feel like we're to that point where we're going to be running downhill for games. And I already feel bad for being behind. Like, I still haven't finished Resident Evil 8. I kind of want to go what? back to Returnal. I know there's so many things. At Chicory, what? there's so many huge things that I want to get to and really enjoy. Hanson, but Returnal's the best game of the year. That's what, what I keep hearing. I know, I know. Uh, but I'm very happy that I was able to cross uh, Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart off the list. I finally... Uh, finished that game that came out in early June, and Kyle and Serial, you both have finished it too? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here's a bold take. What a delight. <laughs> <laughs> what a good game. Uh, yeah. It, it's, um, it, uh, the sort of, the most negative thing I can say about it is that it's like, it is more ratchet, but it's like really good ratchet i think it's my favorite ratchet game to date I, I can't imagine anything overcoming it yeah maybe like i'm sure hardcore ratchet fans and i'm very curious to hear their take like maybe on a storytelling level i'd be curious if they prefer something a little bit simpler something a little more complex but the storyline is jumping between these dimensions so things can get a little bit murky when you're trying to make a strong narrative thrust but they got that i think with rivet and her storyline and maybe some other partners along the way you know are surprisingly effective emotionally but i was amazed uh 
first of all, looks great. We can get in all that stuff. But I'm just amazed by how fast it plays. Because I went back to the 2016 Ratchet and Clank uh, just for a point of comparison. Because I remember that game looking amazing, and it still does look really good. Uh, but you just realize, oh my god, Rift Apart is just speeding everything up to such a crazy degree, like having the dash in there, obviously the skates to go around, but then even just like running speed, everything, if you go back to 2016, just feels like it's molasses, and it's kind of like a nice timestamp on where we are in video games, where it's like, yeah, it hasn't been that long, but five years later, you gotta crank up the speed of this sucker, baby, and that's the most amazing thing about Rift Apart to me, is just like the momentum, the gameplay momentum, story momentum, like this game is freaking fast. It is like Titanfall 2 campaign level momentum if that's an analogy that holds any yeah. water. I mean, I wouldn't go I wouldn't go that far, but like if there is like a like smoothness to all of its design tenets of of every aspect of this game is just kind of smoothed out so that it goes by quickly, so you're never like kind of bogged down in any one thing so all the shootouts go by pretty quick the enemies aren't really that tough like you it's more about experimenting with the different weapons and yeah uh managing different ammo types um the the collectibles are pretty easy to like okay as you're exploring you're basically checking your map all the time like you kind of would in a metroidvania game but if you kind of keep up with that you'll see like okay here's a bunch of crystals i can go in and i can do that or like here's a robot that is locked behind one of these like one-off trial portals and you do that and that goes by really quick like every part of this game is like they've set up a bunch of different gameplay loops that are all very small so it just feels like you're eating candy constantly where it's just like (laughs) i'm getting the satisfaction of like cool i've cleared out this map that's great i've cleared out the combat section i'm like i'm watching a shortcut scene like every part of this game is designed to just like uh, like to keep you going uh and keep your attention span like in uh throughout it constantly I think I think candy is like the right thing to say about it because it doesn't leave like this huge lasting impression on me. But like while I was consuming it, it was delicious and great. You know what I mean? And maybe even leaves me with a stomachache if I do too much at one time. But like it's it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it has a momentum, but then also it has the constant variety too. like it's everything Serial said. And then also, hey, here's these little uh, side challenge rooms here. You're going to be. Uh, a little robot, uh, basically like a twin stick shooter as you're trying to deactivate these things as glitch, or like here's a puzzle thing where you're uh, clank running around in these environments, or here's just like a little side dimension, pocket dimension you jump into just for like a quick platforming thing, kind of feels, not to this platforming degree, but a little bit like that Super Mario Sunshine thing of like, here's just the self-contained little challenge go. And that was like some of my favorite stuff in the game. Like there's one in particular where it's a pocket dimension where it's, all of the platforms you have to jump through are all just like stacks of crates and you have to like shoot them out in just the right way to kind of make stairs and make the most of it as you move your way through. And then every time you blast those things, you just get swarmed with bolts, which everybody knows just feels uh, fantastic in this series. And so it's a weirdly satisfying loop there. Yeah, it it feels like it. You can you get a lot of launch game vibes out of this, where yeah. it's like we're going to use it to produce as many particles as we can. Uh, obviously, you know, like that. That's been a huge selling point of this game is, uh, you know, how quickly you go through these dimensions because of the SSD. Um, like all that stuff goes by really quickly. There are like also sections where it's just like it looks like an unreal mod for a ps2 game where you're like oh okay like the geometry still like giant boxes with like little notches on them uh and like all these like giant you know like a lot of giant shapes right that feel reminiscent of ps2 games but like what if what if the detail on these boxes were like 
incredible and you just looked up to them and like you know you saw little bits of scratches but you know you compare this to like those other games and um there's a couple areas you know like cities specifically where you just see like the horizon like is so crowded with like industrial designs and like you know in the in the kind of like westerny area um you get like the skyline of all this rickety architecture that and like all these rails uh going around like it feels it's a really nice showcase for what this console can do, which is, which is, I think, something we were missing from this generation so far, it feels like. Yeah, it's crazy that the biggest testament, I think, of this game, technically, is by the end, it gets really bonkers. There are so many things happening on the screen, and I had to check myself every once in a while, I was like, oh, that's right, it's not bogging down. This is the way, like, a game with this much stuff on the screen should be running, but every other time in any other video game I've ever played where this much crap is happening on the screen, of course it's going to get bogged down. And I was playing this thing at 60, and it just it held it, and it really seemed great. I think the, um, the dimension thing, I was maybe expecting a little bit more of for that kind of being the big selling point. Like, it definitely has those sections which you've seen the demos from early on in the early trailers, at least, of, like, jumping through the different dimensions. But I think... I don't know what more they really could have done, but I think I was expecting that to kind of build and build throughout the game where it's like, where am I now? Where am I now? Where am I now? When really, it's just kind of... A rift opens up and a different it's, enemy will jump through. It's ultimately not a really a gameplay mechanic in right. the way that I thought it might be, right? There's, like, crazy cutscenes and like you're playing it's like this is not pre-rendered like this is all real-time stuff and that's impressive but in terms of like how it factors into gameplay it, not a ton you and know even like all yeah really? it has like the little tethers where it's kind of like a shortcut where you can kind of like pull the universe towards you which visually looks awesome but even like yeah, a big... like that's, we've seen lots of portals in games it's like not the first time we've seen that but the idea of like pulling the universe towards you instead of traveling through a gate it was, right. is like really cool and the first couple times you do it it feels weird but it's like no this is cool yeah yeah, that, I think that part of it, um, there is one section where you're kind of toggling between two different versions of the same planet, which is really cool. But I yes. think that speaks to a lot of, you know, I mentioned the smoothness of how like everything in this game goes by really quickly. And I think part of that comes with uh, like not getting too crazy with the mechanics just to keep you speeding along. Like there aren't many points where I was like, where do I go? Or like, I can't solve this puzzle or like this takes too much. Like, I'm not sure how to put this together. Uh, I kind of expected there to be larger puzzles in in that area, specifically with the two worlds where I was right. like, OK, I need to move this here and then switch dimensions and then move this back over and switch dimensions. There's maybe like one puzzle where you kind of do that. But everything else feels like it is so telegraphed and like kind of shown to you immediately where it feels almost like a Zelda dungeon. But you only maybe do like the, the like the step one puzzles where it's like, OK, if you throw the boomerang, you'll retrieve an item. And then they don't really like get any more intricate than that because they want to just like show you more cool special effects, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I'm not opposed to that. It's kind of nice having it secluded. Like, okay, there's still puzzle stuff with Clank in particular. And it kind of reminded me of like Portal 2 where you have the different gels and you have to combine the gels in just the right way. Like Clank's sections are interesting in that front. But also it's crazy that they give the option of like, here's these portals, but or these puzzles, but you can skip them. You just hit start. You can go ahead and skip all these puzzles in the game if you want to, which yeah. is Oh, is that, I didn't yeah. even know that. That's a very, that's a Spider-Man. Yeah, I don't know how I found right. that. I don't know. That's weird. That just <laughs> stuck out to me for some reason. Yeah, I did it by accident. I don't yeah, know. Uh, it it is weird because I think that is maybe the my least favorite part of the game is those ratchet sections where yeah. you're kind of solving puzzles because they're 
again, they're so basic that it, you don't really need a ton of time to do them. But it's like, I don't know, like, I guess if you don't like them, just skip them. So it's like, whatever. Uh, and that's a game. That's a thing. Honestly, more games should do is just like, oh, you don't like it. Just skip it. You bought you paid for this game. Just like access the sections that you want and nothing else, you know? Right, right. Yeah. And the thrill is obviously using all the weapons. Uh, <clears throat> and like it really motivates you, I think, in a really smart way with the ammo amount and just the fun of the weapons to constantly be shaking those up. And then on top of that, you're constantly varying these wild different weapons you're using. And I think it's a it's a it's no small feat in a video game to really make you care about upgrades and upgrade trees. And I feel like with this game, I really cared about every piece of raritanium I was getting to upgrade my different weapons in different ways. Like, okay, you get a little ounce of this personality coming through. Like, I'm going all in on the big void beam, going all in on the Mr. and Mrs. Fungus, whatever the hell those things are called. I'm big into the topiary sprinkler. Where Jeff, um, it, uh, you just listed like the three weapons I used the least. That's so really, funny. yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I think there is, there are so many weapons that I think everything's gonna be like, you know, everyone's gonna have their favorites. I think there are weapons that are just completely not very good. Like the shield one, I think is. Yeah, what was up with that? I was excited, was like useless. with the description, I was excited for it. Then every time I whipped it out, like, all right, I'm gonna be a big shield boy and block everything, then blast it back at him. It was just never satisfying. Yeah, I will say I do have a specific beef with that weapon because uh i ended up platinuming platinuming the game wow uh but it's not it's not super difficult like if you find if you beat it once and then you go back through and upgrade like one of the weapons or whatever it's fine but like that weapon specifically has an achievement where you have to kill people with the reflected damage that that thing outputs and that requires you to upgrade it fully so you really it's really hard to do that on your first playthrough but that's kind of a minor but i think that you almost do have to vary things up because if you're just like i think that the the default couple weapons that you get like the you get like a shotgun early on you get like a a a pea shooter pretty early on i think those will serve you pretty well throughout the entire game yeah but i think that almost makes the combat a little too boring if you stick with those so you're almost encouraged to use like is the is the gun that like just basically shoots one little ball and kind of has it bouncing around is that more effective i don't know not probably not really but it's fun to look at it go you know like a lot of these weapons are more for effect than they are effectiveness yeah but i i i did find that like you know the the act that they gamify the upgrade tree by saying like uh, if you uh, upgrade all of the nodes around this specific set of nodes, it'll give you a specific upgrade that is different from the rest of them. And, and that, and like, everyone's going to make that choice. Like, no one's going to be like, ah, maybe I'll upgrade something else, right? But it feels really cool to, like, ooh, I'm optimizing by, like, selecting the these specific upgrades. Yeah, something else I love about the boldness of the weapons, like, Jeff, and one of them is a topiary sprinkler. So it's a sprinkler that turns people into lawn ornaments is the best way to phrase it plants i guess and it's like oh this is cool yeah i'll use it every once in a while every boss i used it on it worked i can just condition from video games to be like this is great Mm. for like little crappers but literally the final boss you can just turn into a plant over and over again as you're fighting them it's wild nice yeah Yeah. i mean that's always been a ratchet thing like there was a weapon where you could throw out a disco ball and make all the enemies dance all the bosses had dance animations that's so cool Why not? It's a single player game. Just like, yeah, give empowerment to the player. They bought this thing. Have at it. Uh, Another thing is with the dimensions, I've seen a lot of people really praising, like, especially like, okay, jump that one level where you're jumping between the two different versions of the same environment and stuff. And a lot of people comparing it to cause and effect from Titanfall 2, that that level there. But Kyle, I don't know if you have the same thought, but it's so Crash 4. Not saying they ripped it off, but it's just wild that these two 
platformers have reached this same point where they're both now doing like the fast how quickly can you swap between different dimensions as you're moving along so some of that like wow aspect about pressing the button to swap between two yes they're bigger environments so it's impressive on a ps5 but like i just played crash 4 there's a lot of that game that's about swapping between two different dimensions yeah i mean skyward sword did it first right if we're (laughs) yeah i'm sure somebody beat skyward sword even to it but i'm just kidding kidding. i I think it also does again with that section it doesn't feel like you're ever doing the thing in like timefall 2 where it's like here's this platforming obstacle where you have to be really precise about when you're swapping like it never gets that intense and so i think it it feels more cinematic and like kind of story based in a lot of ways where it's like like, okay you go to this island and then you, you you do this island in one dimension solve a puzzle and then move on to the next there's not a lot of or like interweaving those two dimensions too tightly right but it is like but they do enough to where it feels like oh this feels significant that i am switching between these two like one of them you have to use the gravity boots all the time and the other one is fine and it ties thematically in that you're trying to save that planet from one of those outcomes where one of them is completely destroyed in kind of a field of asteroids and the other one is fine so you want to prevent that from happening yeah uh when i was streaming this game on uh, minmax's twitch uh number one comment or question most common comment, everybody kept jumping in there and just asking, like, how's the controller? Is it worth 70 bucks? How's the controller? What's it doing? And it's like, it, it, they do a lot, right? Where you're holding down the weapon for, like, one modifier, pulling it down all the way for the second modifier. It's very returnal in that way. It's funny those came out so close to each other. But did anything stand out? Actually, the shooting actually feels kind of similar between those two in a weird way, just because it's a, they're both very strafe-driven. Yeah, you know? There's a, yeah. You're moving sideways and shooting, which is, like, it, it's, it was just funny to play those games back-to-back, you know? Yeah, and it's funny that I was wondering how many other games are going to do this, and it seems like only on some surfaces, Ratchet & Clank does the Astrobot thing of you can feel when the right foot hits and the left foot hits, like in that side of the controller, it's like, but it's like metal surfaces, they'll put it in there just a little bit, and I'm curious by the end of the generation if any games are sticking with that, because it's it's inherently obnoxious. It's it's fun to show off what the controller can do, but it is silly to be like, do I need these feet? Is this more immersive? I, mean, I don't know. I'm... I'm already kind of hitting that cynical point with it where like the um, the chain gun weapon mm-hmm. that you can use, you get it later, makes the controller very loud because it's like rattling a lot. Like, and yeah. I was it, it, to the point where I was like, do I have another weapon I can use? Do I, I that'll, I'll just save that for like when I run out of ammo with everything else because it's just mm. so loud and obnoxious and there's people sitting next to me doing their own <laughs> thing while I'm playing this game, you know? Yeah. It, it is interesting because at one point after I beaten the game and was going back through my second playthrough, I just turned the volume off and just listened to podcasts. But it is surprising how much noise is coming out of the controller specifically where all of the pickups, like the the like all the bolts and stuff, you hear a sound on the controller for that. If you're walking around metal, you're hearing like that clunk. Like not, it's not a sound, but it's like the sound of the coming at, um, of like the controller vibrating is loud enough to hear. Oh, so it's funny. like you're getting like some percentage of the feel of the of actually playing the game with sound on just through the controller which is i'm i'm not sure how i feel about that because it's like on one level it's like pretty cool that it gives you this condensed version of the game audio through the controller but on the other hand it's like i don't know that i need this you know like if i if i'm if i'm just listening to like a podcast i just want that audio to not i don't want to be distracted from that audio once i've you know turned off the audio i understand uh but yeah i i really really enjoyed my time with it definitely one of my favorite games that i've played so far this year just rock solid and like i've really only played through ratchet and clank 2016 and so jumping into this where the storyline is picking up so deep in the franchise like 
it wasn't too jarring. If you've never played a Ratchet and Clank, you're looking for a good game on your PlayStation 5. It's just a super solid, good game to play on your PlayStation 5. And there's going to be a couple things where it's like, okay, the characters seem to think it's a big deal that this pirate character in this dimension is acting this way. So I can probably guess that he was a little bit different in the other dimension, like small things like that. But there's still a lot of, a lot of surprises in there. Like even marketing-wise, maybe I missed it, but I feel like there's a major character that I don't think they really hit on in the marketing. And so there's still... A- I, I'm with you, because I was going to like... I was going to tweet a picture like from the credits just be like, hey, I finished it. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I don't th- I'm not going to tweet that one because I don't I don't think that I knew about that character before starting the game. Right, know? right. So yeah, yeah it's, it's fun stuff in there. So run, don't walk, Jeffum. Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Get it for your PlayStation really? 5 today. Was 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 that secret character Emperor Palpatine? It was, yeah. I thought it was yeah. a poor yeah. taste. Are you going to bleep yeah. that? Can you please bleep that? Hey, yeah, yeah, don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah, they have a starting thing that says the, the uh, Lombak speaks, and it's like this whole <laughs> scroll. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, Fair enough. Jeff, what have you been up to, man? Taking a big swig. Here it comes. <laughs> uh, I've been playing Game Builder Garage. <laughs> oh, my God. This is the Nintendo... Nintendo made a dreams... Uh, we're on the Switch. Uh, it's a little game builder thing that seems very inspired by like the Labo aesthetic. Labo yeah, core. Kyle, Kyle could probably speak to that more than I could. There's there's Labo no cardboard core. in the game that I've run across yet. <laughs> right, right, right. But what is but it? Yeah, just like? just like the character designs of the robots and stuff like that. Yeah, totally. It, it, they they feel like Labo characters. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think of it, Jeff? Um, I think it's interesting, and I think if you have you know older kids or younger teenagers who have any interest whatsoever in kind of you know that dream of wanting to create their own game like this is a good one just just get it for them and let them play through it because i think the thing that nintendo does really well that dream struggled a little bit with was the kind of tutorial system yeah and i'm 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 still going through the tutorials there's you know like seven or eight of them um but they they kind of walk you through the, your first couple couple projects. They call them games, which is they're using that pretty loosely because uh, what what you're making isn't actually that great. But it does a, it does a very good job of kind of introducing you to the idea of a visual programming language, which is this is by far not the first you know program to do it. Dreams does it as well. Game Maker and lots of other things have, I think even like Unreal Engine and Unity both have a have attempted this kind of thing, where you, where you're basically programming by just putting out visual things and connecting them up so that you can kind of see the the programming logic through it. Yeah. Um. But but Nintendo does it in a way that I think is probably the the easiest. Easiest way to get into it, and they they kind of make it fun in terms of every every node that you're putting out there, and every you know little piece of programming has a little cute robot with it that kind of has a personality and talks to you as it's explaining what it's doing. Yeah, I mean, do you feel more compelled to stick with thing with this thing design wise than Dreams, just because it seems simpler? Yes and no, and that that's kind of the tough thing. It's I think Dreams has the same problem where it's a tough sell to like commit the amount of time that you would need to make something interesting. Certainly people are doing it both in Dreams and with this. You, we've seen, you know, 
projects online and stuff with it. But to put that amount of time into kind of learning a visual programming language on a system that you really can't do anything with it once you've once you've put all that work into it. Right. And it, and like Game Builder Garage is the worst example of that because they don't have like a, you know, like a store, you know, a store-esque kind of thing that that you can just go browse and download other people's things. That is like truly mind-boggling. Like you cannot see highest rated creations. Nintendo is no. just stripping all that out. You can send yeah, an if, ID to somebody else directly if you want yeah. to share it. Yep. That's God that's the way it. you have to do it. And like they they did it with Mario Maker. I know. You know? Like like they they obviously understood the importance of that, but for some reason with this one, I don't know if it's just because you have so much more freedom of what you can put together that it would be much easier to make something inappropriate and they don't want to have to worry about that. But it's just, that's a, that makes it a really tough sell and it makes it a tough sell. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't get this if you just want to play other things that people created. If, if like, if you never wanted to touch the programming stuff in dreams, go ahead. You can still have a lot of fun just playing through, you know, dream surfing and playing through what other people have created. But with this one, that's not, that's not really an option. Like maybe you can find, you can trade codes and stuff on the actual internet and download stuff that way. But yeah, the Reddit is, is hopping with, you know, cool codes to share and stuff. And it is fun just to cruise around and see what people are making. And it's very, it's very cute that they have, you know, the obvious thing of, we're going to make our version of these classic franchises. Like here's hotline Miami, here's GTA, here's Zelda. Mm -hmm. But at least the way the Reddit always calls them is it's here's hotline Miami garage. Here's GTA garage. Just having like garage as like the subtitle Mm -hmm. for just kind of these, um, uh, Kyle, what's the be kind rewind thing? Sweeting. So it was called in that film. Oh my gosh. I haven't (laughs) thought about that movie in a long time. No one has. There we go. Uh, Um, But anyways, it's fun to have kind of like, here's this rustic version of here's Nintendogs colon garage. Like, you know, it's going to (laughs) be a janky version of it, but it's still kind of cool. Kyle, I'm curious about your take though. Cause like, you know, you probably desperately want your daughter to be a game designer. And I'm guessing you played some of this with her, right? I want her to do whatever she wants, okay. but I do like finding creative outlets for her to to make things. And we, I sat down and we we're like, "Hey, this is like summer homework. We're gonna do this," and she was excited. Like she wasn't. It wasn't like I was dragging her feet or anything. But we got through the first like two major tutorials, and it's 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 very the tutorials are are effective, and, but they are redundant in the sense that they repeat a lot of the stuff like over and over and over again to the point where we were both kind of like, okay, yes, yes, we get this part. Can we, can we move on? You know? And uh, we, we haven't really gone back since it's been a while, but I want to try more. Like I, and and, and the thing is, is like, it even blocks it off. I could be wrong about this. Uh, Maybe Jeff can confirm, but like, you know, if I were to jump on the Reddit to look at other people's creations and download them and stuff, I don't think I can until I get through at least some of the tutorials. Right. Am I, is that yeah, I, I think it's, I don't know how many after, it, it's a while until they introduce you to that screen. Yeah, like they won't even let you start a new project until you've, you know, listened to probably like two to three hours worth of, of lecture. I would, I would sort okay. of estimate. But, yeah, uh, that seems in line with like a lot of the Mario Maker stuff where they didn't even yes. let you unlock parts until like certain days or whatever. Yeah, I reviewed the well, I reviewed both Mario Makers and the first one in particular was rough because uh, I had to jump the clock in order to access all the tools because I was on a print deadline. 
but like functionally i understand it like i it is it to to give all the tools to right up front would be overwhelming i think you know but there's i don't know what the middle ground is between like letting you skip tutorials or what but uh it's you know, it's it's a class that you're taking basically, but I I would like to continue with it. So yeah. th- does that class feel like it in like you after finishing it, you would have concepts that you could take to other more complex things? Like once you're done, once you reach the limits of like this is what this creator can do, does it feel like you'll have a good understanding of you know even dreams are like something simple like game maker right where you're like okay i mean i know how to program this stuff in javascript but like i have a general idea of how games are developed or like how how games are coded and structured maybe maybe not hugely i i think it would help you learn visual programming language and there's there's some things like you know if then and like not kind of logical you know operators that that seem kind of universally important to coding and programming and that those are those are kind of a few of the things that you pick up on in like these kind of tutorials and stuff i i think it would it would probably help going from this to dreams just because dreams does a lot of very similar things even when you're like connecting it and then going into a menu and finding which parameters you want to tweak and and they they seem to have taken a pretty close kind of both approached it from the same way. So yeah, I I think it's I think it's a good a good starting place for sure. Right on. Yeah. And then the tutorial serial are like structured in that you make different genres. Like here's the, mm-hmm. you're, you're, we're gonna make a platforming game. Okay, we're gonna make a racing game. Okay, we're gonna make you know this. Which you know in theory maybe when you get through them all you're like oh well I can add a racing section here or something like that. You know what I mean? Like right. you can combine those ideas. I'm curious to see how this thing is going to be, I don't know, thriving online six months from now. If it's going to be kind of like that Labo level of creation where every once in a while you see that, hey, here's Doom Eternal and Labo, and oh, that's neat. I, I think that's probably where it's headed is somewhere south of Dreams, somewhere north of Labo creation, and we'll yeah, just occasionally I mean, I see... I say with Labo, I, I was like really optimistic because it, yeah. was, it was about... M- the thing that Labo incorporated that like I don't any other like game creation software can't really claim is like incorporating physical things. Like the idea was like you could build cardboard things and then program the controller to interact with, you know, cardboard. Like I remember when they were showing it off early, like someone had from scratch like made something that was like effectively a a, a vending machine like using Labo <laughs> I stuff, love it. which is like that's really cool, but like for my part, I never really saw anyone do anything like that. You know, I saw stuff like Doom, which is like they programmed Doom inside of Labo, but like extending that to the to the physical world and like folding card like their own cardboard to make their own creations. I never really saw any of that. Yeah, well, wait till you see the new MinMax Studio, though, Kyle. It's largely based oh. off of Labo Tech. So, um, Game Builder Garage, everybody, only on the uh, only available on the Nintendo Switch. You can use a mouse. Check it out. Serial. Uh, Real quick, there's a game called Guilty Gear Strive that you've talked about several times on this podcast, waiting for this big game to drop. Now it is finally out yeah. on what exactly? A, uh, lot, a lot of tweets with words I don't understand. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's out on PS4, PS5, and PC. Okay. Uh, but if you, I think if you buy the PS4 version, you get the PS5 version for free. So just probably get that version if you're playing on console. But 
Yeah, I, I really like this game a lot. I think it's really cool. Okay, so uh, this is from Arc System Works, the same team that made Dragon Ball Fighters. And what was that more fantasy game that came out? Like Grand Blue Fantasy Versus. Yeah, I tried that one, and that seemed cool. Um, I started up Guilty Gear Strive, and again, it seems cool. And I think from like, you know, my layman stupid fighting game perspective i just need like the green flag from you to say like this is the one to get into like do you feel like this is that big of a release uh i think it's a pretty big release i think they've they've already said that it's sold like three hundred thousand, which is which is like pretty major muscle for them Uh, it's also been pretty big on steam i think like both the regular and special editions were like in the top steam charts uh, I think the the regular edition was maybe the top selling game the week it came out. So it seems to be doing pretty well. I think that version sure, the are they version, are they like saying from the Dragon Ball Fighters like creators? Is that uh, like part of their marketing pitch? I haven't seen a ton of ads for it, but I I'm not sure I've seen anything like that. Uh, okay. I definitely think that it they are pitching it as like this is the return of Guilty Gear. Right, uh, right, gotcha. I, I don't know if they're advertising on mainstream television at this point. So because I. I just, yeah, I just wonder, mostly I'm just wondering if like, I mean, if you're a fighting game fan, you're sort of locked in, like, you know, yeah. that genre really well. But like, I wonder if the, the casual people that played fighters know that, like, you like that fighters game. This is that studio's like stamp. You know what I mean? Like, this is the big one from them. This you know? is where the visuals for fighters came from is from their yeah. reinvigorated I mean, Guilty Gear this series. Is in a lot of ways, the next step for them. Because uh, I think it looks amazing. I, yeah. I, I think a lot of the fights just look incredible. Like there's so many, there are so many mechanics in this game that feel like they are like a really strong fusion between making something visually interesting and adding a layer of depth. So the the big one, you know, like that people have seen is like the counter hit where if you if you hit someone while they're trying to attack you, you'll get like this big thing that like depending on the attack will like curve the screen a little bit and then it'll, you'll see a huge thing that says counter and that's like a really flashy thing that's awesome. uh, and counter hit has been in, in fighting games a lot but like the, the amount of detail they go into where like okay here's a big moment that it, that is telling you that like something important has happened do something right and so even if you don't know what you're doing like you can usually get off another attack in that combo if you like even if you just press the heavy button you'll probably get a longer combo and that is communicating to you like hey do something like you've done something cool like keep going right uh, and they have this wall break mechanic where, like, if you hit an opponent in the corner enough, they'll eventually, like, stick to the wall. And then if you hit them again, you'll break the wall and you'll, like, have, like, a screen transition. And that has set up a lot of people to, like, hey, let's get let's get get your opponent in the corner because that's where you're at a huge advantage. Uh, and it's very easy to, like, okay, this person stuck to the wall. I can extend my combo by doing literally anything. You have, like, a second or two to do whatever you want. And that also makes it so that the battles go by quickly so you're because uh once you break the the uh the wall you're back you're reset to center right um so like battles just keep going back and forth and this is a very quick game like a like a lot of the damage is super high uh even if you just get off two or three hits um yeah it's 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 a blast to just to watch even if you don't know what you're doing it's so crazy because like is more deceptive in looking like a 2D fighter, I think, than Dragon mm-hmm. Ball Fighters. Where Dragon Ball Fighters still looks awesome, it looks like the anime, but they're showing off that they're 3D. Whereas Guilty Gear Strive is like surprisingly restrained about fully tricking your brain into it t- the fact that it's a 2D game, and then it'll have that camera shift or just like the grand finale or like one move, and it just blows your mind every time. Like that's right, this is running in 3D. It looks too good. 
Uh, yeah. Is the music always like this Rob Zombie type stuff that's happening in the tutorial? Is that kind of the defining I mean, thing of Guilty Gear? Like their aesthetic is metal. So it's like okay. there's very there's different songs. There are songs that I like more and, and songs that I like less. I think Maze is maybe the one theme that goes from like we're still using a lot of heavy bass guitars, but it, it's kind of more of like a, a pop idol uh, rendition of that same genre versus like Potemkin's, which is very much like very emo, like rock, very low voices and stuff. But yeah, it is all that. Like there, are, it's I, I that. think it. I think it's. I don't think it's like terrible, but it's definitely like not. A thing, I think I want to be listening to constantly. Yeah. Um. In in terms of, like, I think before the game came out, I think there was a lot of, um, concern about whether or not this was dumbing down the game a little too much. Uh, whether it was a little too simple uh, or even if it was going to be more beginner friendly because they they took out like the Gatling system and they didn't take it out. They just made it more specific where it's like, okay, only certain moves very quickly combo into each other if you just want to mash. So it's not a, a game that really, really encourages mashing. There's no like auto combo stuff. But I think what it does is like beyond looking cool, right, which is a, which is a big selling point, um, it it does a really good job of showing you the ceiling without making it intimidating because every character mm. has like, um, there are difficult motions. I think like the, the, what I call the Potemkin buster motion, which is like half circle back and then forward. That's pretty common. And it's a pretty difficult move. I think, especially for new players to pull off. Um, but there, like, even if you don't know how to do some of that stuff, I think like a lot of the stuff that characters can do is really cool. And every character feels like you're learning the game in a completely different way. You know, someone like, you know, for example, Potemkin, like the air dash is a big thing in anime fighters in that, like being able to jump up and then dash in the air. Potemkin doesn't have that because he's a big beefy brawler. Right. Um, but like he has these really long range moves that just do a ton of damage. And well, like he's he's actually um, he's kind of hard to learn the game with, but he's like a character that if you don't want to learn combos, like he's a character to go to because like you just punch them once and it's like a fourth of their health um, because he doesn't have those ways to get in. And a lot of his stuff looks really cool, um, whereas Eno is very different in that she'll she dashes. She doesn't dash forward. She dashes diagonally upward. So her big thing is that she can get off like instant overheads, which is like you just dash in the air for a second, do an attack and they have to block it high which the default is usually for a lot of players to block low. But that makes her kind of a wonky character to learn. So every any character you pick, I think, is going to have um, these really specific mechanics. But they're all like flashy enough and simple enough uh, on a, at a baseline that you can get a really good idea of how, like, how to approach other uh, players with it. Here's a bold, impossible question for you, Serial. Guilty Gear Strive is the best fighting game since... I mean, Mortal Kombat 11. I think I like. Wow, the, okay. I, I I think this is uh, on that level, but in a very different way. Where it's like Mortal Kombat is like hyper realistic. This is like hyper stylized and animated. Yeah. Uh, but I like. I, I I am as into this now as I was. I think Mortal Kombat 11 when I Perfect. when it first launched in terms of how much I'm playing it, and I I think that it is worth sticking with because like I think there are there's really complex stuff here. Um, so like just to explain one specific thing is that Potemkin, um, he has like his, his equivalent of the spinning pile driver, which is like a grab move that you have to be really close with. And it's, that's what, that's, it's kind of, it, it does like half your damage, if uh, half your health, if it hits you, but it's hard to pull off. But one thing you can do is he, ha he has this, uh, sh uh, like command normal, which is like just a kind of a more complex move where you press forward and, uh, kick, I think, and he does this shoulder charge. 
And so the game, like this game has a mission mode where it teaches you a bunch of stuff where it's like, here's how to hear everything from like, here's how to move to like, here's why you should be using this move in this thing. And it's very dense. And I, 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 I encourage people to kind of pick at it instead of like doing it all in one go because it's a ton of information. But they, they show you that, okay, if you do the, you can cancel the startup animation of that forward charge into the Potemkin Buster. And what it does is it translates the momentum of the shoulder charge into the butt into the grab so you're sliding forward as you're grabbing them so Jeff, um, are you paying attention it. yeah. but it's basically it's a move it's a, it's a it's a trick you can do that that makes that ability much better but it's really hard to pull off but i don't think you need to do all of that stuff but that stuff is still there so if you want something to dig into i think a lot of it a lot of that stuff is there and i think it is still fun to uh play with other people and just like watch a lot of like you know flashy effects go on the screen yeah guilty gear strive everybody there we go uh sorry if you had to predict where it's going to be in your top 10 at the end of the year pretty high i think it's it's sitting somewhere but it's probably second or third right now for me um i think the lobby system could use like i think might be the thing that kind of pushes it up or down i think that lobby system is still kind of like a bummer in that you either set up what you can set up a a room like them like they had in the beta yeah to get your friends in there and that's but that's just private but otherwise you're kind of going in this floored system where it's like okay they 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 have you fight against a bot and then you're assigned a floor you can't go into lower floors because you don't want they don't want people beating up on people who are much worse but you can go up high into any floor but matchmaking in that room is kind of just a like not it's it's too much of a hassle because you have to move around the room find a station to stay and say like i'm ready to fight somebody and then you have to wait for someone to move into that same area or like use like using like a small version of your character yeah like their thing now is like yeah i think they're trying a little bit more to like make it easy so like the the thing that i recommend you doing is just set there's a, a mode where you can just set it to go into training mode and it'll throw you into one of those lobbies but it won't show you the process of matchmaking it'll just say like it basically just throws you into one of those lobbies, sets you ready to match, but in, instead you're just playing training mode, and that's probably the way to do it. Um, but if they if they can kind of implement a more like kind of streamlined version of that, I think that's how much I'll play of it. Because right now I, I I'm having more fun trying to pull off what these characters can do than I am like oh like I'm just playing over and over again and I'm having a lot of fun, which I'm still doing. Yeah. But I think that once I overcome the like oh I know how to play these characters, I don't necessarily have to go into training mode for an hour a day. Uh, that like how easy that matchmaking is is going to be the thing that determines how long I stick with it. Gotcha. Uh, Serial, God bless you for your fighting game reports. Every ounce of your being, God bless you. However, would you mind clapping out to make room for our special guest? Absolutely, I can do that. All right, see you guys. Oh. Joe Juba, as I live and breathe. Joe. Hello. It's Good Joe, everybody. What? Welcome. Our old co-worker, you know. Thanks for being here, Joe. Is this your, is this your first time on the MinMax Show podcast, right? It is, yeah. I've done a couple deepest dive appearances, but this is my first time that I actually get to get to do a more, uh, you know, grab bag approach to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> if you really miss Joe, uh, you can listen to him blather on about Everything about Mass Effect 1 with the deepest dive over there on YouTube or in the Patreon exclusive podcast feed. But uh, thank you for doing that, Joe. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it really was. And I have uh, have my MinMax mug now, by the way. Oh, that showed up. Oh, Look at that, that hot merch. My God. Only filled with yeah. the finest coffee. Could um, anyone the thing, else uh, the get thing a mug that like I like? No, you're the, you're the only one, Joe. 
Actually, it's funny. So it's actually weirdly enough, uh, Sarah Omale, who was also on the deepest step for Mass Effect, I sent her that merch page. I was like, "Hey, whatever you want, we'll ship it out to you." She chose the exact same mug. You guys are unified. <laughs> You're fully We're synergized. We're a squad, man. Yeah, that's the true. The squad sticks together. <laughs> she she didn't want the Jeffum face mask. I thought it was rude, and I offered it to her for free, and she insisted, <laughs> "No, I don't want to put yeah, Jeffum on my give face." Those away. <laughs> Even can, in the I, middle of the pandemic, you <laughs> were overflowing. I did come this close to getting the uh, the Jeffum's mug mug. It's <laughs> I, I love it. I drink out of it's it every fun. morning. Um, anyways, Joe, you're here uh, to talk about a lot of things. Uh, it's nice just to see your face, but uh, specifically, oh. we wanted to hear your thoughts on Final Fantasy VII Remake intergrade intermission Yuffie DLC the grand saga uh we just posted our own deepest dive all about it um but you weren't there for that and it's like well Joe's one of the smartest RPG minds around and this is an interesting piece of DLC so without spoilers what did you think about uh the DLC for Final Fantasy 7 on PS5 yeah, well, this is also a good entry point for people who don't want to spend what? I, I assume you guys talked for like three hours about it on the deepest dive, right? It was, it was three, yeah, I think 34 hours of uh, <laughs> talking about Yuffie and her running animation. I'm on the button on Yuffie's pants. <laughs> we couldn't stop talking about okay, those buttons. Okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one who noticed that, though, because that is ridiculous. Uh, okay, so for, for people who are looking for more of an entry level into, uh, into intermission, like I think that it is probably one of the best like expansion slash DLCs that I maybe have ever played. Wait, wait, really? That high? Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. So for the wow. for anyone for anyone who isn't totally familiar with it, this is a uh, a side story featuring Yuffie, who was like a uh, an optional character in the original Final Fantasy VII, and it sort of takes place during a span of it. Kind of it happens parallel to a couple chapters happening in the main story. Right. So. Uh, it's not like it's not like you're just watching the same things from a different angle. It's more like Yuffie is in a largely in a different place than where the main party is. And the fun you, thing, like the same events in the world are sort of unfolding at the same time. Yeah. And like the thing that people wrote in probably the most about for the deepest dive was just everyone was so happy to be back to Midgar, Jeff. Um, and like you're interacting with those old characters, like running around Sector 7 slums again. It's like, oh, we just get to see like the avalanche crew just kind of hanging out and talking, you know, behind clouds back, which is, I think what we all were hoping for. Unless you're me and you just speed through. What was that? What's the mini game called? Fort Condor. Fort Show Condor. some respect. I'd let you speed through the Fort Condor tutorial and just sprint to the objective. <laughs> <laughs> you're a maniac. Do it. No, I, 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 after, after us chatting about it more, I feel, I do feel like I've made a colossal mistake <laughs> approaching the DLC. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, for me, I think what what it really drove home was how much I didn't realize I just wanted to jump back into that world, not yeah. just Midgar, but like that battle system and all of the like. I just loved the mechanics of that game so much, and I got I got my platinum trophy in it, so I kind of exhausted everything I could do in the in the base game. So then I haven't really thought about this game in like a year and to jump back into it. It's just kind of like, you know, finding that old pair of comfortable slippers in the back of your closet. And you're like, oh, where do you guys go? Right. And you slip them on and it's just like, oh, yeah. It's like your old nice. comfy, super short shorts that you never button the top <laughs> button for. It's just like slipping on those bad boys, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that Moogle hoodie that doesn't seem <laughs> to serve a purpose. It's also a wingsuit. But it's great. I should have factored that in because like, yeah, you're such a systems guy, a combat guy when it comes to RPGs. And it is like the best that the remake combat has ever felt controlling Yuffie. Like she... 
Jeff, I'm, let me try and uh, wrap your brain around this. It's really weird. So she has a shuriken, but the way they make that really interesting is she throws the shuriken, and then if you just do, like, a melee attack, you're still doing damage, even though your shuriken is then, like, spinning in the enemy's grill. And also, she has an ability, then, where you can add an elemental power to the shuriken attacks, which is such an interesting way of shaking up that combat, where suddenly you feel like a super genius for being like, okay, weak to lightning, now I can just stand back and my shuriken will go nuts, and I feel like a genius for whittling away this health. If you haven't played it, the game for a year, do they kind of, like, ease you back in and re-explain the system, or... A little there are, bit. There are some that they don't. Like, I feel like it took me a little while to get the whole materia thing, like, my, to, to regain my footing on that. Like, obviously, I remember how the system works, but it's like remembering what materia were the good ones and which ones were the sort of skippable ones. And, you know, the game, it doesn't really, I'm not, not going to say it's a flaw in the DLC, but it runs into this point where it's like, they can incorporate such a wide swath of content from the main game. So they just, they give you this huge list of available materia and just sort of trust that you remember kind of how it works and how to use it in the, right. in the best ways. But yeah, it's just um, some of that, like what auto cure. I remember not liking that, but I don't remember why. So Sonon, you're not going to have any of that crap. Yeah. 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 Or ATB stagger. It's like, <laughs> I thought that was right. good, but it doesn't seem very good. What? So anyway, but I mean, I think for me, what, what, what really makes it like what make, makes it hit that sweet spot is that it feels enough like the original game to feel like a, a good sort of addendum to it. Yeah. But it also adds enough of its own new stuff. In other words, it feels different enough from the main game to feel like to not just feel like it was phoned in, right? To not just feel like, well, we're just going to reassemble the exact same environments, enemies, systems, everything, and just write some new dialogue for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's it's bigger yeah, than it's I thought. Than yeah, I mean, it's five, six hours somewhere in that arena. Maybe if you do everything more, Joe, you're seeming like you you spent a lot more time than that. Oh, not a lot. I, I think my timer was about seven and a half hours. I did the, you know, like I did pretty much everything. The only thing I didn't do, and it's not even really part of intermission, is like I didn't beat Vice, which is mm. like some something that once you finish intermission, and it unlocks a super boss back in the main game, and I, I didn't beat him. Right, because it's the complicated thing of like, okay, it's like in the Shinra VR simulator, so you have to go back to like halfway through chapter 16. It's kind of like just a, a weird thing yeah. to even like get to that point. Refigure out how to play as Cloud after having played <laughs> right, Yuffie right. for a while, that, you know. That yeah. was that was my big problem with it, actually. It's like I went back and tried to fight him and just, just got destroyed immediately because it's a very, like, I think this is, to make it more about intermission here, like one of the things intermission does really well that I think it corrected from the main game a little bit is in the main game when you have multiple party members, the game sort of assumes that you are skilled at switching between them at the right time, sort of drawing aggro from enemies in the correct ways and stuff like that. And I think by letting you only control Yuffie, it, oh, P.S., I learned that it's Yuffie. Yeah, for it, sure. It's amazing. We're all self-correcting machines. Like we dropped Aerith, going with Aerith. Now we're all on the Mako train compared to Mako. Now we can't say Yuffie anymore. What's yeah. the society coming to? Wait till they get to Junnen, right? Oh. Uh, so, but anyway, so I think I, I think one of the things that's so smart about this DLC and the combat system is the way that it focuses solely on Yuffie, but it makes her so powerful like yeah. if she were in your party in the main game you oh. wouldn't want to use anyone else ever she is so powerful and they add like synergy attacks now jeff where you can like combine with your partner and it's just 
basically doubles the impact of all your abilities. It's just absurdly overpowered in a very fun way. And it also it's a lot of fun custom animations of like you and your buddy who's a new character named Sonon here teaming up to just wallop enemies. Like, I, there's, there's a moment yeah, where you're frankly, just... frankly, I mean, I don't know why you're not playing it, Jeff. Uh, like, it's a good game. Yeah, Jeff, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, everybody Everybody online is rightfully pissy that this is a PS5 exclusive, especially with those consoles so hard to find. Like, if I couldn't find a PlayStation 5, I'd be screaming at the heavens. So I totally understand it. And especially when you look at it and it's like, it looks good, but it's not like they're doing crap here that couldn't be done on the PS4 for this DLC. Yeah, visually, it looks like a nicer... I mean, like, it looks like a nicer version of the original, but not nothing in a way that is, like... It's like, oh, I mean, like like so many other games that jumped from one generation to the next. It's just like the frame rate's better. The, you know, like the the resolution, or, you know, you can see it in 4K. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, that's about yeah, it. Thanks. Yeah, but <laughs> overall, like, yeah. it, uh, it inches the main story forward. They do add, a, like, it doesn't seem like much, but just like a little smidge at the end of Final Fantasy VII Remake that... Especially if you're, you know, a fan, it's like, okay, it, it sheds some light on how they're maybe even handling the structure of the next one in an interesting way. I mean, th- there are some elements that I would even say some of the story elements are sort of a must play for fans of the original. Right. I mean, like, again, I don't want to get too too far into spoilers, but some of the some of the final stuff, it's not just. I feel like there are probably Kingdom Hearts games, like whole 40 hour games that give you the same amount of you know, like clues towards the larger mystery, right? I don't know. That seems like a bit much. You're talking, well, this is, we'll say this for the time. It gets a little little into the weeds with this stuff, but. But if you remember, I mean, the ending, if you haven't ever played it, everybody, like the ending to Final Fantasy VII Remake is a real talker. It's a real thinker. It's a real head scratcher. (laughs) So like any, any morsel more is, you know, it's just kind of starting those fires again for people to try and piece together. Like, What's happening here exactly? But um, Joe, you seem like somebody. <laughs> you seem like somebody who's struggling to use their camera. Uh, you seem yeah. like somebody who was probably annoyed by Yuffie in the original game. I'm curious, like, what you thought about like her oh, personality this time around. This was my. This was like the first. This is the main thing I noticed about this is that like I did. I am a total 180 on Yuffie now. Yeah. Like, I I think she's great, and I. The weird thing about this is it's hard for me to pinpoint what exactly is so different about her apart from just maybe the fact that she's being given the sort of time and dement and, and just a little more dimension. Cause she was always, because she was an optional character yeah. in the original the freak. There yeah. was never a whole lot that was like really narratively focused on her. And even in the expansion stuff, then whether it's, I mean, I think dirge of Cerberus is probably where she featured most prominently. Right. Yeah. She, she technically in, she has some scenes. Yeah. Yeah. And she's a li- she's a little bit in advent children and stuff, but I mean, I think she still got that sort of kind of annoying, plucky, young materia hunter vibe going, but there's right. just something that's like, there's something that's just so much more, I don't know, like empathetic or earnest about her now, rather than just being the selfish, like, mm, I want materia, give me your materia all the time. <laughs> She's, she feels like a character now. And, and I really like that. Yeah. And they're planting some seeds for like where they're going with her in the future and her relationship to Wu-Tai and her father and stuff like that. Where it's like, oh, okay. It seems like they're, they're setting themselves up for if we ever go to Wu-Tai in this remake universe, <laughs> like I bet it'll be a much more interesting place overall. Cause if they're making it seem like the big rival to Midgar, 
they have to have that make some sort of sense. And it'd be cool to like in this remake later on have another gigantic town you could go to. So instead of having three and a half buildings like the original game, if they really blow it out like a second Midgar, that'd be so sweet. Yeah. And I feel like you, I mean, you could practically do a whole other episode of like the deepest dive or something, but just like speculating now where this, I feel like, I feel like the DLC here gives a fair bit of meat for speculation of like where the second one is going, not only from a narrative standpoint, but also like from a mechanical standpoint. Totally. Like I think, I think the whole, I mean, like I was saying before about switching between the, the different characters in the combat system, I feel like in the original game, sometimes like the system wanted more from you than it could really, than it could provide mechanically. Mm. So I, I feel like they took a cue from maybe final fantasy 15, the way Noctis is always with his buddies, mm-hmm. but he can sort of give them little commands. You're fighting alongside them, but really it's you're controlling one character mainly. They're, they're there to support you. And that's what yeah. Sonon feels like. Yeah. 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 So I wonder if that's, if maybe it goes in that direction going forward a little more, but I don't, I don't know that I want that either. Cause like controlling Tifa and getting up there and like punching Punching monsters, that's fun too. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, no surprise here, Jeff, but uh, the music is ridiculously good in this DLC. And it's like, it is a lot of new stuff, a lot more than I expected. Some of it Again, is... Again, Jeff, will you please What play is it? wrong with you? Apparently, Are you stupid I'll, or something? I'll go camp outside Walmart right now. Listen to us. Walmart, get more like it. Um, anyways, that's intergrade. Uh, it's 20 bucks on PS5. I understand it being frustrating for folks, but hopefully... Well, you can 30 get if you want to get that cactus sword. Oh, you need that <laughs> cactus <laughs> thing. Did it? Did you buy that? Did anyone buy Somebody that? Somebody playing along for the deepest dived in wrote in about it. And they said it was the second coming of Christ. Uh, no, they said it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> Some cactar runs around or something. Um, it, is that is is integrate also tied to like an updated PS5 version of yeah. the game? Yep. Yep. So okay. it looks better overall and runs at 60 if you want to go back and play the remake and stuff. But yeah. So integrate is the name of the PS5 version. Yeah. But okay. intermission is the name of the uh, of Yuffie story stuff yeah and intermission, yeah, i don't know why you can buy it. intermission if you have integrate do you understand now jeff beautiful yeah you can, you can choose <laughs> you can choose to either write a paper about that or about the mechanics of guilty gear strive for your report uh, so you have to <laughs> okay. choose wisely yeah that's uh, gonna be a tough one yeah kyle uh thank you for being here uh do you want to make room for another buddy to come in absolutely joe lovely to see you and talk to you yeah you too kyle see you later <laughs> the grand tour continues. We got Leo Vader joining the podcast. Thank you. Welcome, Leo. How are you feeling today? Tired. Yeah, what's up? I slept for 95 hours after E3 and I just woke up for this. Oh, good. Um, well, I don't mean to alarm you, but if you look up, you might see an old friend. <gasps> Joe Dumas with you. I'm sorry. I should have warned you. <laughs> I haven't seen you since the Mass Effect Deepest Dive five days ago. <laughs> Time flies. Crazy. Uh, Leo, e- E3 really puts a gulf between every, or whatever, I mean, do we even call it E3? Whatever that was. That, that was E3, Joe. That was legally E3. Yeah, what was it like for you, like not covering it in any way? Did, how much did you watch? You know, it was, it was really interesting. It has literally been like... Well, okay, actually, that's not true. I was going to say it's been 17 years since I was able to not cover E3, mm-hmm. but there was there was a time at GI when uh, it was still 
more segregated in the like print and online side. Right. This would have been in like the mid 2000s or so that uh, that us, those of us on the magazine side were able to just sort of go and then write when we got home from E3. So I, you know, that was a time where it was like you could go to the press conferences and just sit and watch the press conferences. And it was awesome. But I have not been able to do that in a decade at least. Right. So it was fun to just turn things on and just like sit there with my with my coffee and get excited about stuff or disappointed because I mean, there's there's also the fact that because I'm not actually working at a you know gaming outlet I knew much much less about what was happening this year than I than I have in previous years so I was just as surprised as anyone there's still stuff trickling out where it's like wait where was this announced at what show what the future game okay which future gaming showcase is it because there's a couple of them it's just all over the place yeah yeah it was nuts but no I mean I, I watched the big ones and I I had a lot of fun oh nice and you watched of course the E3 Hive Leo Vader and Jeff Cork's big recap so you get the big idea Oh yeah, I think I I think I know you know the the crisis facing the pollinators in the world today. So okay, great. That's what that was about, right? Probably. <laughs> uh, congratulations, Leo, on your big E three video. Uh, how do you feel about it in retrospect? Uh, we should have planned on doing one big special from the beginning because as soon as the plan switched to that, it became like it, it was great to work on. Yeah. It's just more focus instead of having just like the series of it's basically like not creating a living game that you constantly have to trickle out and sprint to get these builds done. You just got the one big launch and you slap it on a cartridge and there you go. Yeah, still have to crunch hard on it, but not so hard I die like last <laughs> time. So. Oh, good. All right. That's what we're aiming for here at MinMax is please don't die. Um, Leo, you wanted to jump on to talk about. Ollie Ollie World, which is the third Ollie Ollie game? That's correct. Okay, this is the big skateboarding thing. Yeah, if you've played the previous Ollie Ollies, uh, it's a, like that, but a bit more accessible. Like, they were kind of uh, skatey, you know, as far as using the thumbstick for tricks. Yeah. But a lot more about precision. You had to, like, press a button as you landed to land a trick that's in the old right. ones, and that's gone now it's like a much cuter more appealing aesthetic with much more streamlined skating that's fun to just go down through the levels and there are branching paths now so it's a bit more about exploration than just pure skating and it's like exception oh go ahead Joe. i have a question about just, just this series in general is for someone like i've enjoyed tony hot games in the past skate games have been a, too technical for me really where does ali ali fall in that like if you have a casual interest in skating games, how likely are you to be able to jump into these things? It's more on the Tony Hawk side than the skate side, despite the the thumbstick thing. I think it and it it uses that thumbstick to make it even a little simpler, you know, instead of hmm. a button press plus a direction, it's like just the direction at the time you want to do the jump and you can really feel the timing of it in a way that makes sense. Yeah, and so it's all, like, it's a 2D series, but do you feel like you're still getting your skateboard jollies out of it? Do you think you're going to check out more of Ollie Ollie World? Probably more of it. I don't know if it's my full skateboard jollies, you know? Okay. There's nothing like exploring a real-feeling place in a skateboarding game for me. Like, what I always love about skateboarding the most is taking a little landmark, a little piece of art, and, you know, doing a trick off it that you didn't think you'd be able to do or whatever. I like the groundedness of skate that way. And this is a lot more, like, you know, fantastical. And it's more, uh, the 
skateboarding than actually replicating the experience, which isn't as up my alley as something like Skate is, but it's well done. Yeah, and so it's not so far. out yet, right? You just have like a preview build or what's going on here? Yeah, I got a preview build and I don't know when it's going to be out. Uh, it looks like December 2021 is when Ollie Ollie World's actually out on Switch and Steam and all that good stuff. No way to know for sure. Yeah. Are you on the <laughs> mailing list for every skating game possible? Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Leo, cool. what it what is your big kind of open world skating franchise that you are now excited about? Like what what is that skate replacement because we haven't gotten the dream skate that we wanted? Skater XL I think has been the closest, but in my mind I'm still most excited for Skate 4. Of all the the glorious riches we've been offered these past couple years of people who also miss the skate games. I feel like Skate 4 is what I will get out of bed the fastest for. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to show more of that because they have their equivalent of the E3 press conference in later July for EA here overall. It seems like we're probably due for at least a dev diary of them all like, you know, getting photogrammetry on a skateboard or something like that. That feels about right for this thing's development. Yeah. Um, but Ollie Ollie World, there we go, from Roll7. Check it out. Um, Jeffum, do you know how this whole thing operates? Um, unbuttoned hot pants? Yeah, mainly hot pants. Yeah, which you can find at patreon.com slash minmax with two N's. Support us at any tier. You can jump into the wonderful Discord, compete in Trivia Tower, and help support independent games media. We appreciate the support recently, especially. Uh, Also, thanks to their big supporters like folks in the Best of the Rest podcast. Each week on Best of the Rest, we take a second look at a superhero movie that was poorly received upon release and only talk about what the movie does well. It's sometimes a challenge, but always a good time. Best of the Rest is hosted by community member Chris Logan, along with friend and comic book expert Andrew Williams. Together they aim to create a fun, positive, and entertaining discussion on movies that the internet usually tears apart. Jump right into the latest episode on Batman and Robin, or check out the past episodes on X-Men Last Stand and be sure to subscribe to hear future episodes like Superman 4. That's Quest for Peace, right? Is that the subtitle for that? Anyways, Best of the Rest podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. It's the best of the rest. Thanks, folks. Also, uh, we want to let you know about the Fixture Gaming Fixture S1. These kind of folks want you to know that it is a clip that you put on your Switch Pro controller so that you can actually slide the screen onto it so you can keep playing with the Switch Pro controller on the go. Joe, have you seen this thing? I have, and actually I've come close to buying it myself, but then I realize I spend almost all my time playing my Switch dock these days. Yeah, but if you didn't, imagine if you bought this, the Fixture S1. Uh, you can get it on Amazon or Fixture Gaming website. Uh, it's available in gray or red and blue. It really is cool. If you love the Pro Controller, which I don't know a human being who doesn't, it's a great way to use that more as you're traveling around. It's very convenient. 35 bucks. And, Jeff, here's the big kicker. You can use the promo code MINMAX with two ends for $5 off on Fixture Gaming site. So check out the Fixture S1. Look at a picture of it and you'll say, oh, I think I kind of want that. Also, Leo, I hear that uh, this podcast is also brought to you by the Call Me By Your Game podcast. I've heard that as well and allow me to expand on it. Uh, There's at least one video game that's close to your heart from an impactful, specific moment in your life. Call Me By Your Game is a podcast that dives into these very experiences. It's an intimate look at what makes video games special for different people. On each episode, your host, Connor McCabe, sits down with a guest to discuss a special game from their past. 
They dive into what the guests loved about the game and also what was memorable about the time in their life when they first fell in love with it. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts and maybe someday you'll call me by your game. Woo! Yeah, the last episode was about Cities Skylines. And it's like, oh, that's fun. It's nice to unpack that game there. It had a big impact on somebody's life, so check them out. Also, thanks to our dear friends at iM8Bit. Uh, they're very generous with Max overall, and they want you all to know that in iM8Bit's wonderful online store, they now have the Sea of Thieves triple album. Which, you can imagine, with Sea of Thieves' art and uh, I'm 8-Bit's uh, design and the aesthetics, this thing looks very cool. So it's a triple album on tropical island-colored vinyl. It has pop-up paper craft center labels and a hardcover gatefold book with 24-page storybook bound in, they say. And the music, of course, is by Robin Beanland, so you can check out the Sea of Thieves album and I'm 8-Bit's online store, and you can use the promo code SOLSTICE. Solstice, S-O-L-S-T-I-C-E for 10% off everything in that great store under $100. And because they're very kind to us and to the MinMax community, iMateBit ships out from their wonderful online store a prize each and every week to the question that we love the most. So whoever submitted over on Patreon, because all these questions, Leo, they're submitted over on patreon.com slash minmax with two mm-hmm. ends. You support us at any tier, you can submit a question. Right. Out of all of these, we're going to choose our favorite and then iMateBit's going to ship out the prize, which this week is a very cool one. It is the physical edition of Gone Home on Nintendo Switch, which, yeah, nice. that would be a cool game to have on your Switch, especially the physical version of it. So thanks to iMateBit for shipping that out. Joe, ready to get to these? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. We don't use email addresses anymore. Save your hot emails for podcastagameformer.com. These, <laughs> these are comments. That's the cool move. Uh, Alex Britt uh, writes in. He says, hey, cohorts and shorts. Hello. Um, have you all heard about the Dead Space revival rumors? Everyone likes Dead Space, right? What does the crew want to see in a new Dead Space? Do you want to see Isaac come back, be reimagined, or just something new? Yeah, so uh, Jeff Grubb, dear friend of the show, he was on a couple weeks ago, um, he's been whispering about, I hear that EA Motive, the Battlefront studio, and the Squadron studio, that they're working on a new or some reimagining of Dead Space that apparently EA is going to reveal in this July event. Um, but yeah, Joe, what do you want from a new Dead Space? You know, I've thought about this a lot <laughs> because I, I really love the the Dead Space games, the first two especially. But uh, I think the thing I want the most is for them to almost pull, almost pull a Mass Effect with regards to Isaac Clarke. And just, I mean, like, I know that his story didn't necessarily, like, fully conclude, but I kind of am done with him as a hero. Yeah. Like, I feel like, especially these sorts of horror stories, I think it's more interesting when whatever the sort of, like, malevolent entity, the evil stuff that's going on, is generally kind of more the star than the person who it's happening to, right? So I feel like what I would like to see is Isaac Clark being sort of shunted off to some other part of that mythology, right? He's off doing something else or he's, uh, I don't know. I mean, what you do, not, you have it be the quest for Isaac Clark. It's a new character. And it's like, Isaac understands something about the necromorphs that no one else does. It, that whole exactly. thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. But what I, but I don't want them to reboot it with like, Oh, here's our new hero, you know, Isaac Lark. Mm-hmm. Some, like not like, don't, don't just give me some stand in. What I would actually love to see assuming it goes forward for more than just one more installment 
is like I want them to take an anthology approach to it, almost like uh, like Lovecraft stories or something, right? Like each each game has a different star experiencing some different facet of the evil in that world, and then the next game goes on to someone else, some other weird thing that's going on. You know, I don't I don't need that sort of continuity of hero. I think it's more interesting when you sort of use different people to explore different angles of the of the fiction. Yeah. I don't know what it says about the state of the video game industry that I just have complete faith that they won't botch this. Like, I I don't know. I just feel like there's so much, maybe that's insane, but I feel like there's so much fan service and reviving these old games. And I feel like, I feel like a company like EA at this point understands what people liked about Dead Space. And it seems like it is the smartest play, is it not? Just to have like, maybe you won't even show the main character's face again. This is just going to be atmospheric, scary, very much throwback to Dead Space 1. Leo, is that insane to have faith that this reboot could be exactly what fans want? Because they've seen where that pays off with stuff like a Jedi Fallen Order or something, right? Like just make a good single player game and people will come. Yeah, it certainly is possible. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't put as much faith into it as you have. And I'm saying I'm going all in on EA can never F anything up and just sliding those chips across the table, Leo. Because if they start to, you just message Andy Mack and you say, hey, they're making that new Dead Space gotcha game. You should have it be a first single player, you know, narrative instead. Eureka. We hadn't thought of it. <laughs> Yeah. Does anybody else want anything from Dead Space? Is that it? Just uh, don't screw it up. Make it scary. That's pretty much it. New new enemies, you know, as cool as the necromorph, like the... I, I don't want to... I don't ever want to see an enemy and be like, oh yeah, it's that one again. You know? I, I, I don't I know. A, along with like the new settings, like come up with weird new mutated enemies. I beg to differ. I feel like it's been so long. There's going to be that hunger for like, just give me some of those. Just give me that old time necromorph. You know, <laughs> you want like the good classic. Let me shoot a limb off in a hallway here. Well, I still want to be shooting limbs off things, but I want it to be a different kind of mutated, creepy creature. Okay. I'm some weirdo. I've already seen and shoot. shot so many limbs off. <laughs> okay. All I right. don't get any. I don't get any rush from that anymore. Hansen. I understand. You gotta, you gotta go it. next level. All right. All right. I get it. That closet behind Jeff is just full of dismembered limbs. He's just yeah. been doing it all morning. It's boring. <laughs> uh, Chris Brahaska submits a comment over on Patreon. He says, "Hello, Hanson, Heo, Hef, and Joe." Sure. I was pretty surprised at how much I genuinely enjoyed the Fort Condor minigame in Final Fantasy VII Remake Intermission. Yeah, I guess we didn't talk about that, Joe, but yay or nay to MOBA Fort Condor? Uh, I would say yay in the sense that I think that they did a good good job not making it too intrusive. Yeah, okay, there you know, it is. Like, like it, it was as fun and as prevalent as it needed to be, and I think if they'd gone any, any more... Any deeper on it, I would have had problems. Yeah, which, by the way, Jeff, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a certain character you might have to fight in Fort Condor who's a very good player, and it's an old returning favorite, so please look forward to that when Is you get your PlayStation Palpatine? It's Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> Anyways, Chris asks, what's your favorite video game minigame outside of something like Mario Party or WarioWare? Minigame. That's I mean, an for, easy one. That's an easy one for you, Jeff? Yeah. What, what's yours? It's Mahjong in Yakuza. Does that count I, as a mini game? That's just a game. <laughs> That's kind of insulting. <laughs> Holy God. And this is also, I swear, Jeff is the 
only person I have ever heard of who actually plays Mahjong in Yakuza. <laughs> you know, like, I, I it's, would, it's a running joke that people never play that in that series. I was I was just emailing with a friend and he told me that he got super into Yakuza and like hundred percented like a dragon. And I brought up I brought up how much I like that Mahjong and he he totally fell into it too. And he was like, Yeah, I love going even for like the crazy, you know, strings of like thirteen tiles or whatever and pulling that up. So there's two of us out all there. All right, Joe. all right. <laughs> Mini but, it, game. but it's hard. It's hard to if you like mahjong. It's hard to find an actual one that's been translated and that lets you actually play the one. Because if you go on mobile or whatever and you search for mahjong, it's all the stupid tile matching games that your grandma plays. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems fair. Uh, Leo, do you have like a real answer? Well, if we're calling Mahjong a mini game, then I'm going to say the chess from Watch Dogs 1. <laughs> but legitimately because they had like chess puzzles where it was just you have five moves where the board is set up in this situation to like, you know, get out of it or get into checkmate or whatever. I thought that was an interesting mini game. That or the arm wrestling in GTA Online as just a fun way to pass the time when you're like waiting for a friend to arrive. You just invite your friend over to this barrel and you put your arms on it and wiggle the thumbsticks as fast as you can. Yeah, so how does that work? It's not fast button tapping like Final Fantasy VII. It's like you're wiggling thumbsticks for that one? Yeah, I think both of them. Oh, weird. Uh, Hmm. Yeah, I think I'll go with um, in Rayman Legends, they had like a soccer mini game that I think was just available at the menu. I forget exactly where it was, but it was called Kung Foot. And it was just like you could play with four players 2v2. You know, (laughs) now it's like it was almost like Rocket League. I don't know how, what else to compare this game to, but it's surprisingly fun just to have like a very streamlined, simple soccer game uh, that when you already have four players playing co-op just to take a break and have like some intense 2v2 matches. It was super fun. fun. Mine are I, from series that have been brought up already, but different installments. I loved Triple Triad yep. from uh, Final Fantasy VIII. And I loved the business mini game in yakuza like a dragon oh, terrifying I loved it like i played i when i hit that point in in like a dragon literally i just stopped making any story progress at all and played the business mini game for five or six straight hours maxed it out and then was like well time to go back to the <laughs> time to go back to the world and of course uh my my wife, who was, you know, like, will be on the couch while I'm, you know, playing these games sometimes, is like, I'm really confused. Are you homeless or are you a millionaire? <laughs> and, and I have to sort of be like, look, it's complicated. I'm a little of both. <laughs> That's like the least yeah. complicated thing about the Yakuza story, but even that alone is too complicated to explain. <laughs> it's weird to call the mini games in Yakuza, like, on the same category as other mini games, because they just have full games within Yakuza games. But it's still yeah. a mini game within a Yakuza. Yeah, I think it's totally fair. It's just like it's not fair for how much better that game does mini games than any other. Yeah, my favorite <laughs> yeah, mini game is Virtual that's Fighter. Every 5. other game's problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. As as a series, I think that yeah, Yakuza probably does mini games better than anyone else. Yeah. Uh, Ace here, Lord Thor writes in and asks, anyone else feel? Like the conversation around games is going backwards in some way. It feels like a few years ago there was a big communal revelation where everyone agreed that graphics weren't that important. <laughs> Do you remember that when we all got together and decreed that? Um, fast forward to now, and it feels like every game is having its fidelity, textures, and lighting effects nitpicked to heck and back. What gives? Good question, Lord Thor. 
is it just the console generation? Is it just we're desperate to talk about how these things are different, so we have to start talking about teraflops when we're down to the nitty gritty here? Yeah, yeah, I mean that's exactly what it is. Those are those are the metrics we use in general to like like how else do you quantify a gaming experience, right? Like to say people it, it's easy to say, oh, this system has better exclusives than that system, but that's all a matter of opinion. But it's a lot easier if you can point to like numbers and say this one is better. So it's like fueled a lot by the console wars in that respect. But I don't think when you're talking about a game's quality, I, I really don't feel like that graphical thing comes up. If anything, I feel like the conversation is really steering more towards talking about, like steering in a good way towards talking about games with good art direction and not necessarily just good graphics. Right. That's, that's my sense of it. Yeah, I, I wonder if it feels this way, especially because of like the mid-console generation refresh of like, you know, uh, having the PS4 Pro and Xbox One X and all that stuff where it was in the middle of the console generation, we suddenly needed to really start talking about these technical terms again. And now if that's going to be a standard for generations moving forward, if it will feel like we're talking as an industry more about graphics than we have in the past, because normally there's kind of that lull where we can focus on the good stuff, like the art direction. I think it's uh, obviously you know everyone's always going to be talking about everything there are just a lot of people out there you oh, know interesting. Interesting. <laughs> but um graphically it's interesting to think about something like ratchet and clank which does have great art design but people talk about it you know in both of those conversations they say it's a artistic achievement and a graphical powerhouse and i think it's often Sony first party AAA exclusives that push this conversation that are like this. We're at the forefront of single player gaming experiences because our games look the absolute best. And that's like, if not what they're marketed on, what they're partially hyped up about, you know, that level of production value. And I think, yeah, it's people by default will compare other things to that benchmark. Yeah. So blame Sony is the message. Yeah. Okay. Have, let them make uglier games. <laughs> I think there's a question too about who the who the we is in that in that question too. Like who who's yeah. the we who's talking about this stuff? Because I feel like from a marketing standpoint, a lot of like companies do want to talk because like for in Final Fantasy VII Integrate, for instance, those are the big improvements. Like how else do you talk about that game other than saying, you know, 4K visuals, 60 frames per second, like that kind of stuff? Because otherwise, it's like yeah, you bought this game already. Yeah, you right, know? right. So I yeah. think. I think a lot of that conversation is coming from c companies themselves talking about the, the, the graphics and the stats like that. I feel like, and again, I was disconnected from E3 a little bit this year, I was, but in my isolation, the, the conversations that I was tapped into seemed, it didn't seem like people were talking about, like it didn't seem like the consumers were focused in on the graphics as much as it were the graphics were sort of just a, a marketing bullet point. Well, I mean, I know it's weird with the generations where Nintendo's at too, but I mean, one of the most hyped games of the show, actually, I mean, two of the biggest games of the show, like Elden Ring and Metroid Dread aren't exactly on the forefront visually. Like Elden Ring, obviously, great art direction especially, but even people were saying like, ah, it kind of looks like a last-gen game at times. And so, but those still were two of the biggest talkers here. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, Shane Carley writes in and says, Hey, everybody. I've always found it fascinating that books, movies, and even video games can have different titles in different locations, even if those locations speak the same language. With that in mind, I put together a list of games with different titles in the U.S. and the U.K. Can you guess the identities of these games based on the title they were released under in the U.K.? Does anybody know what this British game was called in the States? Lilat Wars. What was that? Lilat Wars, as in the Lilat system. As in the Lilat system. <laughs> I can't do it. How do you do these voices? Rib ribbit? Rib ribbit? Star Fox. All right, Adventures. there we go. Star Fox 64 was called Lilat Wars. Um, oh, this is an impossible one. Probotector is the name of the game in the UK. Probotector. This is a biggie. This is a game that probably Joe and Jeffum spent a lot of time in. Probably 30 lives at a time going through this adventure. You've got a Contra. Contra. Probotector is the name of that game. Are those words in that game? I don't know. It's Contra in that game, you know, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) It's my buddy Contra and Roy. (laughs) Uh, What about Project Zero? Any guesses what that is? It's very descriptive. That sounds like a hundred games. <laughs> uh, let's yeah. see. Haze. Think of it like a zero. It kind of looks like a circle, which is an important part of a camera, which is a big part of this game. In a Dead very, Rising. In a very spooky kind of way. Fatal Frame? Fatal Frame is called Project Zero. Uh, Jeffum, this game's called Shadow Warriors. This old NES game that you're very partial to. There is a game called Shadow Warriors, isn't there? Well, this game was called <laughs> Are Shadow you talking Warriors. About Ninja Gaiden. Ninja Gaiden. That's right. Is there another Why game called Shadow Warriors? I, I swear, I swear, I played a Shadow Warriors. Get out! We've of here. all accidentally played a game called Shadow Warriors. Yeah. Uh, he has actually a description here. So Ninja Gaiden was retitled because ninjas were taboo in Europe at the time. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was oh, similarly course. retitled to Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Is the breakdown there? It's still taboo to be a ninja. Yeah, don't talk about it, man. Um, What about... Oh, boy. uh, Forgive my Latin. Canis Canum Eat It. Bully. There we go. Uh, UK censors were not cool with the term bully, so they renamed it after the motto of the school in the game, which is Latin (laughs) for dog-eat-dog. What a terrible name for a game. there are bullies. (laughs) (laughs) Does the UK just suck at naming games? Is that the takeaway from this? Outside of times, you know, in a different kind of way. Protector. And, you know, there was that thing back then, too, with Bully, where just because it was called Bully, there was this huge mainstream media assumption yeah. that it was glorifying Bully. So, I mean, I, I think more than anything, that was probably just an attempt to sidestep that ill-informed controversy, right? Yep, but. yep. Uh, also, apparently, uh, who was this? Shane wrote in saying, in the Europe slash Australia version of Contra, Konami replaced the main characters and enemies with characters resembling robots. Oh, Hence probos. the new name combining the words <laughs> robot and protector. Uh, anyways, uh, Crab Palace submits a comment here. Uh, wait, saying, wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah. I like I like that they didn't just go with one, like, robotector, but they, but like, let's put robot right in the middle of protector. <laughs> it sounds more like they're probe, probe assistants than anything else. Or like a probiotic detector. <laughs> Uh-huh. Something. <laughs> hey, Crab Palace over there on Patreon says, I always called Donut County Donut Country. 
And even worse, I always call Disco Elysium DaVinci Resolve, which is a video editing software. Which video game titles do you always mess up? Outer Worlds and Outer Wilds, famously. Yeah, famously. No one could get that right. Yeah, that's the classic. No one can. It would have been fine if they if they had not come out within months of each other, I think. Yep, yep. Like, they came out in the same year, and we just made that mistake constantly. I'm sure that's the main reason they're not going to make an Outer Wilds 2, because, like, if that just happens to drop the same time as this Outer Worlds 2, just think of the bedlam. The, the, the inner wilds and call it good. Yep. Yeah. Um. I'm not pointing fingers and making fun of nobody, but it still makes me laugh that one time I was talking to Ronnie about Zelda and he called the DS game The Legend of Zelda Train Tracks. <laughs> it's like, that is the lamest name of a game I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Jeff, do you got one? Uh, no, it was Outer Worlds and Outer Worlds. Okay, Wilds. there we go, of course. Uh, and the rest of us were perfect, and that's why we always remember the name Kenna Bridge of Spirits. We couldn't imagine I, forgetting the I name was, Kenna Bridge of Spirits. I was going to call that one out, but I couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is there is that tier of like games that you just instantly forget the name of, but yep. the flaw in this question is you can't remember them, so you can't use them as examples. That's right. A rogue company, that hero shooter. Oh, yeah. I bet you've already forgotten what it's yeah. called. Something about a bridge? Anyways, Grizzled Gaming writes in and says, Hey gang, if you could banish any video game trope to the Phantom Zone, what would it be? Banishing a trope. I play a lot of RPGs, and I am really sick of the, like, the secret princess who can't cook. Can't cook? Yeah, that's, like, the whole can't cook trope, I guess, is it's very often a, a woman who can't, who, who has this problem, right? Or a secret princess. But just the idea of, like, the the character who is really enthusiastic about cooking is really about, like, oh, hey, I'll make some of my, you know, patented stew. And then all mm. the guys in the group go, like, mm. and then she makes her stew and everyone is, like, oh, and they have those weird little symbols that appear above their head because of how gross it is. And Peak comedy. I'm sick of it. Yeah. Yeah, mine would be just... Uh, ladies with their boobs are too big just just like the 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 over sexualization of characters that like every every female character like i i saw an ad not too long ago it was actually for a board game i think but it was like generic fantasy but you know a pinup elf essentially and and it just it struck me more than usual of like, oh man, like we're we're still not past that. Like that is that is just a bad PR move at this point. But but there's but there's still just it happens so often. Yeah, you it, know what I I love about that is it is like okay, so when you put when you advertise something with with that, or when you advertise anything, it's like you want to give people an idea of what they're in store for, right? It's like, hey, you buy this and it's it has sexy stuff in it, but it's like. <laughs> What what do you what does your brain expect when you open up a board game with a sexy with a sexy elf on it? Like a little mini that has, you know, even smaller boobs, but they're yeah. there. An unpainted pewter mini. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, okay, I guess this is the extent of the sexiness here. Unless you're buying yeah. some like porno game, it's gonna have the same little like dice and plastic markers that every any other game does. Pewter mm-hmm. for your Peter. Uh do they have pornographic video games, Jeff? I've been meaning to ask you. Uh, you know, I, I think there's like very old, like knockoff 
knock off like Monopoly, but it's, you know, with boobs or whatever. <laughs> and, and then then there's like the, you know, like like the adult version of of, you know, like party games, but like the prompts are just sexual and they'll, right. they'll put those like in Target. Yeah, stuff, yeah, because it's not, you know, I, I guess that's not really <laughs> pornographic unless you make it that way. Can you imagine who? there's something south of swingers that they're trying to market that too, right? But can you imagine how comfortable it would be if I was like, Hey, come over and play board games. And it was just yeah. like this lightly sexy board game. Yeah, so it, it happens a lot. It's weird. I, people are buying them apparently, but I don't know for what audience. Yeah. Isn't there even like a code names? That's like, Hang on, I played that. Like a friend of mine actually. Now I realize I have the exact situation where we went over to their place and they're like, "You're the problem." And it was like code <laughs> names undercover or whatever. And it was like, "Yeah, what is this? That just is so lame." Now all the words are kind of like areola. Like <laughs> that's it makes code names a worse game to narrow the range. Like it's not fun yeah, anyway. They always do. It's really Your hot. For this round is sexy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Sixteen. Every single one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was the question? Oh, tropes. Yeah. Yeah. Leo, you got a trope? You can kill it right now if you want. I'm trying to think how I could do the most damage to the industry, and it would be like revenge stories or something. You know, just because you want to watch the world burn. Yeah, I want to, you know, game designers and writers to go to their go to their next thought, as we say, you know, it's an easy excuse to for all the killing in your game or whatever. But, you know, maybe try and think of something besides their family got killed by the bad guy. Right, right. Like they're trying to track down Isaac Clark. Right. Good original storytelling. Um, Make that an overused trope. Or it could be (laughs) it could be like the original watchdogs where it's like. Your niece got killed. Ooh, that's an interesting twist Different on it. Different emotions. Just why <laughs> did they do that? Why? Uh, Jonathan Dan writes in and says, Hello, everybody. It was recently announced that Final Fantasy IX is getting an animated series. I've always thought that Final Fantasy VIII would work as a series or as a movie. I think eight would work as like a CW show or something, honestly. <laughs> like, as much as I love eight, that's what it feels like. This announcement really struck me as odd because... It came from, like, the French production company, and they're like, we don't have distributors, we're still trying to lock things down, but I didn't see any official messaging from Square about it. Not to say that it's not happening, but, like, the way it was getting out there just struck me as odd, especially after Square just had, like, their big press conference that if they were that on board and this thing was actually super-duper greenlit, you think they would have been talking about it. Yeah, you think they they might have dropped that into their E3 presentation to spice that up a little bit. Yeah, just something. But I think it's a cool choice. Like, I, I'm excited for more game adaptations, and I would love to revisit the world of Final Fantasy IX, and so I, I'm excited to see what comes of it. But And I need some more Queen of Quill. Like, I want her to be the star of this show or bust. <laughs> hey, she no, can cook. What's it? No, the 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 awesome character in that that you don't get to play. Uh, is it Beatrix, I think her oh, name is? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. There we uh, go. There's a lot of cool characters though, in that game. I guess she falls into the trope that Jeffum talked about, though. Uh, yeah. We'll see what they can do. A lot of characters do. Uh, Crystal Keyframes Animation. What a great name. Uh, says, hello, Mort, 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 and Mort. Ratchet and Clank reference. Thank you. Um, have you ever been dumped? And what did you do to overcome it? Jeffum, the floor is yours. 
No, I don't know. I don't want to put you in that situation. <laughs> you look very dumpable. <laughs> I look dumpable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're thinking about dumping you from this freaking call, dude. Hey, I'm the only one who hasn't gotten dumped from this call yet. Mm, that Kyle is true. And Cereal were both booted. So <laughs> that is true. Call and ask them. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't it wasn't us. It was them. Um, but Leo, do you have thoughts on getting dumped? I got majorly dumped. It was a, a turning point in my life, my young life. Uh, what I did was let ten years pass, and now it's pretty chill. <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, it was like a, a, you know, a big low period after the dumping, which caught me, you know, very much by surprise, very much through my vision for how my life was going to go off because I was a dumb teenager. who thought I was going to be with my teenage girlfriend forever. I mean, we're, we're we talking <laughs> but, 19, 18. Where is this? Yeah, 18. OK. And yeah, after a few years, like it was all about just finding someone else, just like finding someone else to to put your love in and to believe like to finding out that you're worthy of love still by someone else was the only thing that ever truly worked for me. At, at how many emotions do you, do you still have about it? Like if you're on Facebook, do you ever see like a picture of her on Facebook or something with her 16 new husbands and still have that twinge? You're like, God damn it. Is it still emotional? You think? No, for a long, longer time than I wanted. It was for sure. Yeah. <laughs> for many years. But at this point, no, I, I feel nothing about it. I would be very curious to talk with her and catch up, and I don't think it would be very emotional for me. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's it's such a cliche that people, you know, where it's just like, oh, it just needs time, you know? And I think that is not when you're in the, when you're in the throes of, of your grief around it, right? That's not, that's not what you want to hear is that it gets better. It just takes time. But like, you know, for the, the bad, the bad dumping that I've had, like, <laughs> took like took several years for me to like feel be okay with. Oof. And I, and not not everyone is sort of is is wired the way I am, right? So I think it's going to be, uh, you know, it probably won't take that long for for a lot of folks. But uh, you know, I guess in in my case, there is think of this sort of process of dating or or the relationships that you're in. It's like almost like you're, let's say you're like auditioning for a play, right? There are some times that you're not going to get the part, obviously, right. but you never know quite why. Or let's say, it, or, or let's say you're, you're take the play element out of it. I was a theater kid, so that, that's where it goes. But like, let's say, let, let's say you're applying for a job and it's like, if you don't get the job, it's not necessarily because you weren't qualified or they didn't like you, or you couldn't have done the job. But for some reason that you may not be privy to on their side, it just wasn't, it just wasn't the right fit. Right. Right. So I think for me, I put some time into thinking about not like, at first it, it just felt like I was very wronged <laughs> and, and that took me a long time to get over. And then, and then I sort of started directing my thoughts more at, I guess I don't want to say blaming myself, but you just sort of like interrogate yourself a little bit and say, and, and examine what it was about that relationship that maybe you could have done better and sort of better prepare yourself for the future. And I think, you know, as, as rough as that time was for me, then I'm, I'm married to a woman that I love now. And I feel like I wouldn't have 
traded that experience because it you know, was an important step on the path of taking me to where I am today. Have you ever told Leo that it's his first girlfriend that you're married to? Oh, well, we talk now about him most. We talk about him a lot. So <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to make it weird. He actually loved me. Prank calling me together. That's <laughs> <laughs> hurtful. Hello, yeah. this is this is Leo. This is my impression of you talking to yourself. <laughs> 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 Uh, (laughs) I think what Joe said at the end is important there of like not seeing it as wasted time. Like you can always get lessons from it. That'll make you be a better partner in the future. If you, you know, are thinking about that and want that. Yeah. It makes it more well-rounded. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, in a a weird dark way. Uh, I, I remember I told, uh, my girlfriend at some point that like, I've never really been dumped. And I remember she's like, she told me later, like, I was so angry at that idea that I wanted to dump you right there just to, like, <laughs> have you soak in this for having this life of luxury. It's like, ah, it's always just worked out. Like, I've always been the dumper, and it's brutal on that side, too, because it is, like, you know, what you're talking about. It's just always just, like, well, give me the reason. It's like, I can lay it out as much as I can, but, like, there's never going to be an epiphany of a reason of, like, oh, that makes sense now. It's just always this clawing for, like, well, there has to be more. There has to be more. It's like, no, it's just, uh, that's about it. I, I just didn't think getting married was a good idea. So, at some point, like, I don't know what to do here. Uh, it's it's rough. Um, but I've been very, very lucky. It's, like, I think the worst I've ever really had is, like, a couple dates in. Or maybe like a month of lightly seeing somebody that's like, oh, I think I like this person. And they're like, eh, not so much. That's about it. It was like, okay, I can recover from that. I mean, yeah, bottom line is rejection just super sucks. Yeah. And it's okay to feel sad about it and take time. Yeah. yeah. Has this been cathartic for you, Jeff? Yeah. I mean, I've gone through those things as well. You know, like had breakups, not like dumpings, but... Definitely the the take your time and don't rush into the next one, but just like I spent a lot of time just just by myself and becoming a person that I'm I was happy being alone and Mm. go figure that's when I, you know, met someone who was right for me and she had gone through a similar thing. And so we we were meeting two people that had figured themselves out. And that I think that's like. That's when relationships last and when you really get to know another person and love another person. Well, there we go. Yeah, that's that's super important. I feel like my my wife and I were in the same spot. We met when we were both 30 mm-hmm. and, you know, at that point had to live by, you know, lived by ourselves for many years. And yeah, I think what Jeff said is right on. Like be be comfortable by yourself. And the more like the more you know yourself, the better a partner you can be, I think. Well, there we go. Uh, now for the most natural segue, uh, Caleb writes in and says, so um, allegedly back during the time of Abraham Lincoln's assassination, his body was taken by train to his final resting spot and was guarded at all times, even late at night by one person. Now imagine yourself as this guard and sole person guarding Lincoln's body in this train. Do you open his casket, touch his beard and or corpse? My wife and I have had a heated debate about this. hold for <laughs> hold for dramatic impact do you do you mess with the corpse because it's famous <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, the I think that's the core of the question absolutely okay. not <laughs> no hold on hold on how, how to what extent are like what qualifies as quote messing with the corpse right is like is 
opening the coffin to sneak a peek? Is that messing with it? Shoving finger in bullet hole wound, I think is what Caleb's getting at. I, I think it's just like touching beard and corpse, I think is the way Caleb describes it. It's just a quick tug of Lincoln's beard. <laughs> <laughs> Four score and seven years ago. <laughs> Would uh, it, no. Absolutely You open not. the casket, you salute it, you close it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've I've got to open it if I if I'm that guard I've got to open it just to be sure that I haven't been Ocean's Eleven and had someone like steal yeah. the corpse from me. I mean, oh, the okay, person interesting. who could have stolen it and left you on the hook for it. I feel like yeah. that's a when slippery slope because you're gonna up, look once. He's gonna look because he's responsible, <laughs> mm. and then you're gonna be like, no, I I don't know, I didn't, I I never checked. And it's like you have one job to guard this corpse, this very important president corpse, and you didn't even check to make sure it was in there. But I feel like that's a slippery slope because if you're bored in 1865, everyone was bored all the time. You're going to like start that (laughs) night out by like opening it a little bit, looking at it and be like, okay, president's still in there. And then 45 minutes will go by and you're like, what if I recited the Gettysburg Address with this course? Like you're good. It's a slippery slope. I feel like I'm just like, now I'm going to look at him a little bit longer. Now I'm going to change his hands. Now I'm going to make him grab his own butt. Oh, that's not the question. <laughs> the question isn't, will you eventually give in to every impulse regarding this corpse, sit there arm in arm, drinking whiskey and pouring it down corpse gullet. Like, <laughs> and also not- you have weird impulses, Hanson. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't think I'm ever getting to that point with an assassinated Lincoln. I'm just saying you can only look at him once. And then I feel like once you've broken that seal, it's it's game on for defiling a corpse is, is my argument here. Hmm. We honor so much about you in this episode. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> Always dumping other people and now defiling corpses. Yeah. I broke up with the what's, what's his name? What's the assassin's name? Joe, help John me out. Yeah, I dumped John Wilkes Booth right before this. That's what yeah. caused the event. Is that joke yeah. worth it? Minimax, no. a place a place for games, making friends, and defiling corpses. Oh, please, Joe. Please. <laughs> Gavin DeCrow writes in, though, uh, and says, Hey, Ben of the computer-loving cohort, and here's a who's. Hello. Uh, with Gears of War recently entering the turn-based tactics genre, what other franchises would you like to see get the XCOM treatment? I think an XCOM-style Final Fantasy could be pretty interesting. Interesting. You should check your history books a little, Gavin. <laughs> tell Square. Uh, yeah, tactics games. What, what are they missing? What do we need? We need a Pokemon one where all, where all your members are the Pokemons and they each have their own unique ability. May I interest you in a game on the Nintendo DS called Pokemon Conquest, good sir? Is that a tactics game? <laughs> it's a tactics game that they released. Did yet. I just describe a game that already exists? Yeah, it's a weird crossover with Nobunaga's Ambition, I think is the name of the anime, but Nintendo and Pokemon Company, I feel like, have never acknowledged that the game existed. They just produced it, developed it, and marketed it. But outside of that, they've never acknowledged it. You're moving around Pokemon in a turn-based, like, tactics battles. That's what you're telling me. I'm fairly certain, yes. What system did this come out on? Nintendo DS. June 5th, 2012. Oh, this is when the E3 trailer happened. But, yeah, it is it is that game, Jeff. You should look it up. It's Incredible. a weird one. Uh, yeah, so go back and play that. Um, Christian Jimenez writes in and says, Hello, Game Informer alums. Oh, I guess that's true. Uh, why do publishers never make enough collector's edition of games? I'm still bummed out. I missed on the Met- I missed out on the Metroid Dread version. Uh, boom, it was gone. Also, why do you think... Also, do you think they will bring Metroid Samus Returns from 3DS to the Switch? And doubt it. 
It seems like they're going to be busy. They're busy making the new one. Yeah, collector's mm-hmm. editions. What's with these? Why don't they make more of these things? I mean, isn't isn't that what the whole idea of a collector's edition is? Is that it's like you make them in limited quantities? Yes. <laughs> I guess so. Look at more Fabergé eggs. <laughs> 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 I, th- I think also if if it's again anything like board games like they're they're super expensive to produce and it's kind of out of the wheelhouse of video game companies to be making stuff with a bunch of expensive merchandise that goes along with it so they want to make sure that everyone that they put money into manufacturing is going to get sold yeah and the fact that point. if you make a really small amount and it becomes this you know like super coveted thing that you know, like those feelings are also getting associated with your brand. Then at that point, that's, you know, kind of a win-win. Yeah. And there are so many stories of like behind the scenes headaches of partnering with those merch companies and the way certain, certain items or figures or, I mean, like the fallout 76 canvas bag, right. Or, uh, back in the day, I think there was the, people were mad about the Bioshock big daddy, maybe. Oh yeah. I mean, there's just like like if, if there is if there are shoddy products there, I don't know. I guess that, that this isn't about the scarcity element of it, so I'll stop rambling. But yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, Steven Woodson writes and says, "Howdy, folks. Uh, did anyone get the one thousand dollars from Joseph Ferris from It Takes Two? So he promised a thousand dollars to anybody who gets bored from the lack of variety in It Takes Two, and uh, I don't know if he's tweeted about it. I'm sure somebody at least tried." to get that money but they're lying you can't be bored while playing that game it's a freaking delight i'm uh, still i'm still in the midst of it i haven't finished it yet but i i'm enjoying that one a lot it's so much better than you expect uh yeah and actually there's a good interview with uh joseph ferris uh this week i think on the game makers notebook um that ted price from insomniac hosts and it's like an hour and a half long conversation between those two which is interesting and it's fun because joseph he can be a little combative at times kind of challenging some assumptions from ted price and just general positivity about the game industry from ted price because ted price you know he's just kind of one of those guys who's like i think it'll all work out i think creativity is neat and joseph is like yeah but mobile really sucks right <laughs> but in that he talks about how uh their their next game he's very excited about and how it's uh, also going to be a split screen co-op and he's like this is going to be our thing and apparently epic is very interested in helping them like perfect that tech and unreal and stuff so it's kind of cool uh jake tricks writes in and says stock sound effects does anyone find them really distracting the creaking gate, the Wilhelm scream, generic monster roars, children laughing. <laughs> Reading children laughing, I had the stock sound effect in my mind of those children laughing. I hear these far too often in film and games. Can they not legally alter these sounds so they're less recognizable? They can break immersion if they aren't subtle. I don't totally. know. I, that bothers me all the time. I was noticing and being very grateful for in Bo Burnham's Inside, there's some stock laughs that I was like... I know all the stock laughs and I haven't heard these before. So I appreciate that. I don't know if they're a real recording or where he got them. I suppose, huh. Yeah, he could have gotten those from like his, the audience in, at one of his shows, right? Yeah, very yeah. possible. That's a weird thing. Yeah, it's like, I guess you don't need to have people sign away permission to use that if it's like a crowd, if it's like crowd noise. But if that was one person laughing, they would probably need a permission, right? Is that the way that would work? They might need to get permission anyway. I don't know. Like just a just notification a like something. you're being recorded. I, I or think it's probably like mm-hmm. on the back of the ticket. It says like, hey, right. we can do anything with your identity or. <laughs> yeah. The all your, all yeah. your valuables now belong to us, whatever. So woo really loud. Make sure we can hear you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah this... the, the Wilhelm scream thing just 
stands out to me and annoys me almost all the time at this point because yeah. it feels like it was an inside joke that wasn't that stopped being funny like 50 years ago and but they're still just got to put it in everything it's like it's like the first thing that you know like a first time editor sound editor has to do is put that in or Some maybe it's, that, yeah, or maybe it's like the director insisting that like, well, this is my movie. We need the Wilhelm screen. I'm sure the sound people are like, oh, sweet Jesus, no. And the, on the video game front, it's the it's like the sound editor's equivalent of the cake is a lie joke, mm. right? Where it's like mm-hmm. that, like that portal joke. I, I loved it when I first played Portal 2. And at this point, it's just gone to this thing where it's like, it's not funny. It's not even a joke anymore. You can stop making cake references in video games thinking you're clever and not like nodding to portal. The right. Wilhelm scream to me feels like that. It is more distracting than anything. Yeah. Though I am also so like, you know, on, on the audio front, I am so inept that I basically never notice any other stock sound effects. Oh, really? No. Oh, wow. Uh, Only the, the Wilhelm scream. The one that always gets me is chickens. The sound of chickens. There's so few noises and the sounds of the chickens in Spyro the Dragon, like I played so much the first Spyro the Dragon, they use the stock chicken sound effect in that, so it's always baked in. So I still see like these, you know, dramas on HBO, and if there's a chicken in the background, it's just a sound effect from Spyro the Dragon in my head. And it's the most <laughs> jarring thing, but it's just this stock, boring, stupid chicken. Uh, Maxwell Eugene Johnner writes in and says, not a question, just a comment for you lovely folks. Trivia Tower is wonderful. Uh, thank you. I hope you keep making it for a long time. Thank you. But also, I have no interest in playing it. Sure, I could. I'm a patron, and any Patreon supporter, even the $2 tier, can compete. But I just enjoy relaxing and watching and not worrying about trying to type real fast. I'm sure there are others like me, patrons who don't wish to enter the fray, but think it's a really fun show. I felt like I needed to give voice to that. Thank you, Maxwell. I, I greatly appreciate that, because I love doing Trivia Tower, and uh, it's fun to have folks in the community compete and it feels like such a big deal for me. And then every once in a while I get in there and realize like, oh, there's only like 160 people playing every round. In my mind, it's like all the Patreons jumped into the sucker, but the odds are a lot higher than you think if you want to jump in there and, and compete next month. Um, so thank you for the sentiment, Maxwell. Yeah. And I'm for you to remember, Ben, too, because it's like, it's a fun piece of entertainment. It's not just a kind of like, it's yeah. a competition in real time, but it's also a fun thing to watch. I haven't watched the most recent one yet, but I've enjoyed Trivia Tower. Thank you so much, Joe. Uh, $1,000 on the line in that recent one, and it's, uh, it's a doozy. It's fun. Uh, Drew Maschiarelli writes in and says, Hello, my girlfriend and I recently tried to start a co-op farm in Stardew Valley, but she found it too mechanically dense as somebody who didn't grow up playing video games. It made me realize that every time I play a new game, I come into it with existing ideas of how similar games work. Playing a game like Stardew is pretty intuitive for someone with a lot of gaming experience, but I can't imagine how daunting it must look to someone with no experience with RPG mechanics, stamina meters, inventory systems, etc. Is there anything game developers can do to ease new adult gamers into the language of video games, or is the medium doomed to be a little impenetrable to newcomers after they reach a certain stage? Uh, I have a two-pronged response to this. Yes. First prong is my wife is also not, not a gamer, but she played all the way through Stardew. She played it on mobile. Like oh, uh, she played it wow. on, on, on iPad. And the one of the huge innovations on the iPad version is that it doesn't make you manually switch between your tools. So you see a rock and you just tap the rock and you just automatically mine. Oh, that's you don't have awesome. To like go over to your pickaxe and then do it. And it seems like that, that one little accommodation was enough to like get her through the whole thing. And she is certainly not, you know, a capital G gamer, but 
the second prong of the response, non-Stardew specific, is I think that that's just a lesson, a lesson the industry needs to learn in general in a much broader sense is just like more options for people who have a variety of different levels of experience and different like physical capabilities when it comes to playing games. Yeah, it is wild when you start to realize how much you've just learned over time and take for granted when you're playing a game. Like I was trying to play what I consider a great game, but a very baby game. Kirby's Epic Yarn on the Wii. I was playing that Mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago with my nephew who's like seven, but he hasn't really played too many video games. And you can double tap to turn into a car. It's like, meep, meep, and you go faster. And so I was doing it and he's like, how are you doing that? I'm like, oh, you just double tap. He's like, what do you mean? It was literally just double tap on left or right, and we worked on it for 10 minutes, and he could not do it. Like, he would just, like, blah, like, just panic and press <laughs> everybody on the I'm like, no, 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 it's just, like, dun, 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 dun. It was just mind-boggling. It was like, oh, that's right. There's just so many things that if you're not playing video games from a young age are just so daunting. I think a lot about uh, the, the common sort of accessibility front or the accommodation that's just like instead of having to rapidly tap a button to finish a mini game you just need to hold it right even mm-hmm. like accessibility stuff like that i mean it, it seems like a, the thing that you were dealing with there ben might have been helpful there too like hey hold the button instead of double tapping and you can turn into a car. right yeah for sure i don't know yeah, what you were thinking players, back in 2010 give, give players more control over their experience like that yeah yeah Joe, I, I loved your answer because my wife did the same thing and played through all of Stardew Valley. She she did it yeah. on mobile too. And and I I was surprised. She got to the point where um she beat everything. She did the community center, she did the uh, you know, like the movie theater after. She was like doing stuff that I had never saw. And but she got to the point where she was like watching YouTube videos about it and she was wow. looking, she was starting to look at mods, but the like the ginger island update hasn't come out on mobile yet and mm-hmm. and she wanted to play like the new stuff and so we eventually i just bought like the pc version and she was playing on my laptop but that transition was super hard for her to go to like the pc controls and i was surprised when we went to it that like they haven't adopted my my laptop is also a touch screen and so i figured like surely they have adapted in the touch screen controls from the mobile version but they never did and it it took her a long time to figure that like make that transition herself and then um she has recently she she was looking for more games because she played through all the ginger island content yeah. and she and we she wanted to get uh my time in porsche oh okay yeah and we we got the switch version of it she's she's actually liking it a lot more than we probably would but that that was another one where it's like all of a sudden she had a second analog stick and she had to figure out how to control the camera mm. and that was that was super hard for her too which which the game actually includes an option for like you can you can set like how how sticky the camera is to like turning around to look behind you and that helped that kind of helped her through it but then she had like she's had like a laundry list of questions of like okay what is defense what is stamina what is endurance like what are all these game systems that like i have i have been helping her you know like figure out what is a critical hit and like what does critical hit percentage mean and all those kind of things so i guess the answer is just like have someone walk you through those things when you get to that point. But And that's the takeaway for the developers? Or should developers like have tutorials I, for basic stuff like that? 
I think that's hard. And I, th- I think my my answer, which probably isn't as helpful for developers, would be like just kind of like you can make a, a simpler experience that's kind of in some of these genres. Like like there are, there are different audiences out there and they're probably much larger audiences than developers realize where like if you're going to make a farming sim like Farmville is kind of the example of that of yeah. like hundreds of millions of more people played that than ever played a harvest moon or those type of games like you could make you can make a good version of that that's simpler that will appeal to a much broader group and then they can graduate to you know a stardew valley or something else if they want to keep going down that road right right take that pop approach like like you were saying too, if your wife was going like trying to look things up, I, I don't know that these things need to be heavily tutorialized in the game. You don't necessarily need a 20 minute walkthrough for every mechanic or whatever, but having just a repository of yeah. that information in the game, right? Just have a menu, a menu item that says how to play mm-hmm. and, a, and a bunch of different categories. That's like basically what you would get if you went to look it up online, except it's right there in the game organized by the developers with the most relevant information. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, she has spent so much time on gaming wikis for both Stardew Valley and Porsche, and it's like, that. it would be nice if it was in there, but she'd probably just ask me anyway because I'm right next to her on the couch, and that's easier. And can I make a little recommendation quick? Yeah. I just finished Littlewood. I love that you finished that, Joe. That's amazing. Okay. And Littlewood is sort of, it's not as farming- heavy as stardew valley it's sort of like a halfway point between stardew valley and animal crossing it's a little it's a little bit of a little bit of like cultivation and building and a little bit of like community building right okay and it was out on pc and i I bought it on pc and then uh my gaming pc broke and i never really got 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 to check it out so i bought it on switch earlier this year and and just finished it like a week or two ago and it is exactly what I wanted to sort of okay. scratch to scratch that like low impact, lighthearted simulation. It, it was very good. Get I your routine that. down, slowly improve over time, expand to new areas. Yeah. yeah, it's it's wonderful. And and then I will never be able to play my Switch again. Yep, is, <laughs> that's correct. Yeah, because it's it's already been like that. It's um she's been using it more than I have. I'm sorry. Over like the like. Total wise, she's probably played more of the Switch in the past week than I did in like six months. Oh my God, <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, yeah. Mike Sweet writes in, Leo, get a load of this. He says, I checked the calendar and today is the day you can play America's favorite pastime. <laughs> it's a weird setup. Is it taller than a PlayStation 5? Below are some items for you to guess if they're taller than Sony's biggest console to date. Joe, is the PlayStation 5 taller than an average newborn? Uh, yes, it is taller. No, average newborn is 19 to 20 inches. PlayStation, of course, is 15.4. Who can forget? Uh, Jeffum, is a PlayStation 5 taller than 20 PS4 game cases stacked laying down? 20? 20. Uh, the PS5 is taller. Oh, hang on. Well, now I'm confused. <laughs> I'm confused about this person saying yes or no. Uh, the PlayStation 5 is taller than yes. Than that. Yes, that comes to 11.82. Leah, what about seven Nintendo Wiis stacked on their side? Is the PlayStation... 
I'll go ahead. Is the PlayStation 5 taller than that? Oh, I'm sorry. Is this taller than a PlayStation 5? That's why I'm confused. You've ruined this game. <laughs> I've Dancing. ruined the purity of this sweet game. <laughs> is, uh, no, it's not taller. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, duh. Yeah, it is 16.625 inches. Is this logic working out? <laughs> I'm confused about the yes versus no. And 10 Wii's stacked on top of each other? Seven, Seven Nintendo Wii's stacked on their side is 16.625 inches. Joe, is the PlayStation okay. 5 taller than a bowling pin? Uh, no, a bowling pin is taller. Incorrect. The PlayStation 5 is taller. A bowling pin, of course, is 15 inches. Uh, bonus question. How many PS5s would it take to reach the top of the Empire State Building? <laughs> a stupid amount. Does that mean 1,132.987 PlayStation 5s? Perfect. Look, you can stack all those up, but you can't get one, Jeff. Um, yeah. These are for stacking they all purposes are. only. All right. This is the worst reason. Them all. This is the worst reason we could have possibly been diagnosed as fake gamers. Finally outed. <laughs> the Damn worst it. part for me is I, I have it like directly in front of me. I'm looking <laughs> right at my PS5 right now and I'm still blowing it. Anyways, thanks, Mike. Sweet. We tried. Um, Joe, what do you like for question of the week? Oh, boy. Let me let me stroll you through this memory lane. I like the yeah, yeah. graphics. Why we're talking about that so much. I mm -hmm. like the localized names from England, um, getting dumped, sound effects, uh, Stardew Valley slash approachable game design. I like the mini game question, actually. You Me like too. The, oh, all right. Favorite mini game. Well, that is Chris Prohaska. Jeffum, you're grimacing. Can you live with this? Oh, I, that was a smile. That was a smile, everybody. Congratulations, <laughs> Chris Prohaska. You win Question of the Week, and you win the physical edition of Gone Home on Switch. Thanks to our friends at IM8Bit from their wonderful online store. Now it's time for something that we call Get a Load of This. Leo, I see you booting something up. Time to boot <laughs> it into the lighting faces. on my face change I as I bring up the window. Mm -hmm. What do you got, man? Uh, get, a, get a load of this. It's a really interesting article called The Anxiety of Influencers. Educating the TikTok generation. Basically, somebody went inside a influencer house where, uh, you know, a collab house where a bunch of TikTokers are doing their collabs together. And I think the most interesting snippet from uh, a taste of their life is when they're all picking teams to play basketball together. Uh, they're all, you know, crap talking each other on the court. And uh, then I'll read this excerpt. But a few minutes later, after we pick teams, something strange happens. For reasons I can't identify, most of the boys scatter and disperse, wandering in the direction of the jacuzzi and pool, looking like left fielders distracted by butterflies. Only Baron and I remain on the court. What happened, I ask? Shirtless, dribbling at the top of the key, Baron sighs and says, Honestly, man, this happens all the time. They all have ADHD. They haven't been in school in like four years and they haven't had responsibilities, so their brains are effing mush, bro. <laughs> It's just like we pick teams for fun all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, all right, there's a link below if you want to soak in that world. Uh, Jeff, what do you got, man? Yeah, uh, get a load of this. This was a stupid news article that caught my eye and made me chuckle. Uh, it's a NPR article that's entitled 
Tens of thousands signed petition to stop Jeff Bezos from returning to Earth. <laughs> because he just he's announced his retirement and he's going to go to space. And I I love this. First of all, it's up to 100,000 people have signed the petition now. Wow. But I, I love that there that it's it's not a petition of people complaining and petitioning to not let him not allow him to go to Earth. It's like, go ahead and please, by all means, get off the planet, but just don't come back. And that's fine by me. Honestly, odds that the first or second richest guy on the planet dies from that rocket. Like, Jeff, I'm like, seriously, what's the percentage chance? 20%. I think that's right. I think that's really crazy that we're going to be dealing with those odds. Yeah. Do you think he's going to find some way to weasel out of it? No, I'm I'm sure to him it's going to be the greatest thing in the world. Death? Wait, yeah. You think yeah. he's going to find some way to weasel out of death? I don't know. I've never tried to bribe death. Maybe somebody has. Um, hey, get a load of this. There's an announcement from E3 that I completely missed. Um, thankfully, Dunkey mentioned it in his recap video. I was like, what is this? This can't be real. Joe, did you know that they announced a video game at E3 this year called Alfred Hitchcock Vertigo? I did not know that. No. It is not an adaptation of Vertigo. It's Wait, taking <laughs> it's taking themes from the classic film, but creating an original story about, quote, obsession, memory, manipulation, and madness that'll include three playable characters. And it'll be about separate reality. Oh, it'll feature multiple timelines the publisher says will be used to separate reality from deceptive memories. And it's going to be from Pendulo Studios. They made Black Sad Under the Skin a couple years ago, but... Of all the licenses, and it's not called Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. It's just Alfred Hitchcock hyphen Vertigo, a video game coming soon. I'm confused. Is it licensed for sure? I mean, I guess you can't. I, you call it I don't Alfred think you Hitchcock could call Vertigo. it that if it wasn't licensed. Yeah, man, weird. <laughs> it's a weird one. That uh, reminds right. me, I Hanson, I saw a game that I don't know if it was announced at ETH, but it was called Eldest Souls. <laughs> and it's a Souls-like game, but also with Eldest in the name of it. Smart. Like, Man, you're you're just trying to get sued by everybody with this one. <laughs> it's like the video game Transmorphers or whatever, right? It's like mm -hmm. close enough to confuse everybody. Uncles, uncles looking for a present for someone. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Joe, you got one? Yeah, hey, so get a load of this. This is a pretty on-brand uh, thing for me to share, but Matt Helgeson... Uh, host of MinMax's Crossfade, oh. sent me an article last week because he knows that I am a fan of the TV detective Columbo. That's right. And I, uh, and so like normally when people send me articles related to Columbo, it is stuff that I have seen before. That's of just sort of one of the, one of the hazards of having a thing that people know about. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, but I'm, I'm thankful that people think of me, but this thing that Matt sent me was something that I had not, seen before it's an article on uh the onion av club that basically it seemed it seemed too ridiculous to even be true but it's true that the u.s state department asked peter falk star of columbo to help defuse a potential like riot in romania because the romanians were big fans of the show Columbo and the Romanian government 
had because of the way like the political situation was basically the, the Romanian government restricted the how much and what kinds of TV it could import from America. So there weren't many Columbo episodes per season. They had like, like it's about 10 per season or so. And the Romanian people were sure that the Romanian government was holding out on them. What? And were, they were not bringing over as many Columbo episodes as they possibly could. And this was actually sparking, I mean, it related to the government's approach to regulating I would imagine, in general. Yeah. But sparked by this Columbo thing, started this like, like huge protest that had the potential to spin out of control because the people did not believe the government when the government said, we've brought you all the Columbo there is. So the U.S. State Department went to Peter Falk and gave him a phonetic thing to read in Romanian that they recorded and broadcast to Romanians. Peter Falk himself basically saying, look, there isn't it. You've seen all the Columbo that there is. We're making more. You'll get it when, when it's Holy time. But don't God. blame your government. <laughs> Do they have that recording still? Uh, the re I think it's still out there here. Let me check. Um, but it's also, you can see, like, you can hear Peter Falk himself tell this story in this article. There's a, there's a clip to an appearance of his on uh, uh, Letterman. That's amazing. It looks Anyways. like a tr you can see a transcript of the speech, but it doesn't look like there's an actual uh, recording of it available. Okay. But yeah, links below for all that stuff. That is nuts. Uh, Jeff, you got one from the community in the Discord? Yeah, get a load of this. Uh, this one is from Mike Lynch. Um, it's a YouTube clip that my brother also sent to me. Uh, it's a Conan O'Brien interview because his, his show's ending this week, so he's That's having right. back a lot of favorite guests. And it was a interview with Bill Hader, um, and then he's telling a story about Paul Rudd, and then Paul Rudd crashes the interview, and Paul Rudd does a very famous, <laughs> you know, like sketch thing that he always does if you've ever seen him on that show uh and it still got me to laugh oh good yeah i gotta i gotta watch the rack up or the the re, or the grand finale of, of conan's show i feel like i'm seeing headlines and i feel guilty for not diving in more to to the big finale because like yeah his sign off for tonight's show was also fantastic yeah um all right Thanks so much, everybody. Uh, let's see. Plugs. What we got coming up here at MinMax? We have uh, the call-in episode of MinMax Council, which is our Patreon-exclusive podcast. If you want to call in and podcast with us about anything under the sun, your thoughts on E3, your favorite game of all time, what you're playing now, anything like that, you can join the MinMax Council tier, which is the $20 tier, and then call in this Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Central, and uh, we're taking all calls from the MinMax Council, so it's a nice time to reconnect with the community there. Um, also, check out Leo's E3 Hive video on our YouTube channel. Uh, he worked very hard on it, along with Cork. So any help sharing, that's appreciated. Um, we're streaming with MinMax Plays. We stream every Tuesday and Thursday on Twitch. Uh, Sarah, I believe, just wrapped up uh, Chicory. And I'll be streaming this Thursday. And I think I'm finally going to check out this DLC that I've been meaning to get to for years now, which is the Forza Horizon 4 LEGO DLC. I've never played it, but I bought it. And so I'll be streaming that. And uh, you can race against me. We'll have a way for the community to join as well. So that should be fine. So that... I believe Cork's E3 joke for that one was this is one racing game where you don't want to step on it, which is still <laughs> one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. Excellent. <laughs> uh, great. Joe, thank you for being here, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it was where a lot should, of fun to see you guys again. Yeah. Where should people go if they're desperate to see more of your crazy antics? <laughs> for, yeah. For more Columbo video games and... <laughs> 
dumb observations. Uh, yeah, I'm just at Joe Juba on Twitter. Sweet. All right. Well, you're welcome back anytime you'd like, dude. Yeah, thanks. And thanks to all of our patron supporters at the $50 tier. If you support us at the $50 tier, you get your name read right now, kind of like this. Alex Payne, Fixture Gaming, I Am 8-Bit, Best of the Rest Podcast, Call Me By Your Game Podcast, Merco Reno Torreno, Real AF TV, Zachary Pliggy, Mark Seliga, Beaten Down Brian, Ludwig Roque, Jawar Hello, PrettyGoodPrinting.com, Andrew Yukowitz, Andrew Valla, John Higby, Yarrow, Richard Smuts, Clint Farley, Spiral In Your Eyes, Prethem Yar Legata, Starkiller, Spider Dan, Purebred Number 6, Slick Nick, Steve Bamdad, and Jesse Vitelli. Thanks so much, everybody. Be good, have fun, let's go. Let's go.